Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Uh, we're going to be talking about DC books for, uh, I guess we're in June already. Man, this year has just been, uh, been <laughs> flying, flying by. by. Yeah, so the, the week of June 1st, Tuesday, June 1st, 2021. And uh, I got to say, here's another week where DC's putting out more good than bad. So we're, we're further putting that sort of bad taste of future state behind us, which is a very, very good thing. And you know, I've been talking to more and more creators recently, uh, just kind of the nature of, of the comic industry, right? Like everybody kind of gears up for summer it's when school's out and all that. And granted, the pandemic has kind of thrown that all in a, out of whack. And uh, summer used to also be convention season. Remember that, Rocky, when we didn't have conventions year round? <laughs> you know, it used to start like in late April and go until like, you know, September. And now we, you know, they start, they're just every weekend now. So um, obviously not a lot of in-person conventions yet, but my point is the comic industry is still sort of on that that cycle. So, you know, big summer events and uh, books coming out. And I've had more and more uh, creators reaching out to me, wanting to come on the show and all kinds of announcements, which is which is great. Uh, but it just means I've been talking to more and more creators lately. And uh, a lot of the ones that I'm talking to at, at DC, they, there's more optimism, much more optimism now than, say, September of last year when uh, we know the layoffs were had been announced. They hadn't. Most of them hadn't taken place yet. They were still coming. And it was just sort of a, well, we don't know what's next sort of thing. And, you know, I'm still not 100% on board with some of the decisions they've made. But I got to say that a lot of these books, you know, we're, we're hitting the third issue, fourth issue on some of these. And they're starting to, uh, they're really starting to get their rhythm. Yeah. So they're, uh, they're finding, it, that's exactly right. They're getting their groove. They're finding, DC is slowly getting a little bit of a groove back on some of the, some of the narrative here. And when you consider how, how convoluted future state was, I think that there's uh, I think they're doing a pretty good job of making, making the best of it and surprising us with some surprisingly re really interesting narratives. So overall yeah, it's, and, it's impressive. Yeah. Yeah, here and the other, the last thing I want to mention before we kind of dive into the books for this week is the other the other part of it is I was pretty harsh and maybe overly so, uh, not necessarily about the quality of, of Future State because I did think overall it was it was kind of below average, but I called out a lot of the creators on just you know n n not attacking them personally, but I, I feel like it wasn't their best work. And you know we talked extensively about it in the Future State spotlights how it felt rushed. And so it may not have been indicative of their best work because it, it very well may have been rushed. Yeah. Um, so, you know, now we're seeing work from, um, you know, people like uh, Jeffrey Thorne, I'll, I'll name specifically because, you know, I really disliked his future state Green Lantern. This week's Green Lantern, I thought was the best issue, best comic I've ever read that he's written. So, you know, like, like we said, it's not just the stories and the narratives kind of finding their pace and their rhythm, but I think the the creators as well, kind of getting their feet under them because they, DC did have a huge influx of, of talent that hadn't, hadn't worked there before. So uh, last thing I'll mention before we uh, dive in, hope everybody got a chance on Saturday to listen to my interview that I did with Jim Starlin about his recent project. Uh, it was Star excellent, Returns. man. I loved it. It was a, it was a fantastic interview, man. It, it was so great hearing from him and, and his passion about Dreadstar and his new collaboration with his with the Inker. I, what's the Inker's name again? I forget her name. J Jamie Jamison. Jamie, yeah, she was quite impressive too. That was that was great. It was it was good to watch. I watched yeah, it on always... YouTube, uh, your YouTube channel, uh, not just uh, the podcast. So. 
Yeah, it's available either place, uh, either, you know, any podcast platform or on, on the YouTube channel as well. Um, the, the thing that's great about it is Jim, he's always so authentic. There's nothing politic about him. Not to say he, <laughs> he uh, you know, calls anybody out or anything, but he just tells it like it is, you know. Yeah, yeah, he does. Uh, he's, always, he's always been that way. And, you know, some, some people say, oh, he's difficult difficult to work with. And, you know, he's, he's had that reputation at times uh, where, where he's, you know, not wanted to work with Marvel because of editorial dictates or what happened. But, but here's the thing. It's, it's because he's passionate about the story and he wants what's best for the story. So uh, I, I love Jim. He's amazing. And I, I think this is a third or fourth time I've interviewed him. And yeah, it's always a, it's always a blast. So anyway, let's go ahead and dive into uh, the books for this. We're going to start with Justice League number, uh, number 62. Obviously, this is written by Brian Michael Bendis. And uh, the art continues to be by David Marquez, colors by Yvonne Placencia, letters by Josh Reed. Uh, I'll also go ahead and give the uh, the credits for the the backup, the Justice League Dark story, which I still feel like is deserving of its own title. It's so good. It is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Ram, Ram V is the writer. Zermanico is the artist. Ramulo Fajardo Jr., one of Rocky's favorites, handles the colors. And Rob Lee's on letters. So uh, just to catch everybody up, uh, when Bendis started his uh, his Justice League run, it was all about this interdimensional being, Brutus, very powerful, who uh, comes from the birth world of mega power, not a superhero, but a mega power, Naomi McDuffie. Uh, and th- <laughs> basically, there's there's their world is post-apocalyptic. It's kind of falling apart. There are other factors, let's say, in uh, in play there, and, and it's just not a good place to be. And so Brutus, along with his allies, is looking for a new world. Uh, to make his own, to conquer and, and rule over. And uh, he, he made a couple incursions into our earth and the Justice League said, no, that's not going to happen. They tracked down Naomi. Naomi's been their gateway uh, with help from B- the Barry Allen Flash to send everybody to this world where Brutus lives and try to stop him and make sure he doesn't come back. In this issue, we find out Flash made some miscalculations. He, yes, very he, he's very distraught that he screwed up the math is what he tells yeah. Hippolyta. <laughs> And apparently him screwing up the math and sending them to that world, I guess, in a in a wrong sort of way is is contributing to their the malfunctioning of their powers. And we see Naomi. She seems to be sort of fading out of existence, kind of a flashback to uh, back to the future, I guess you'd say, uh, whereas Superman's powers are very limited. Um, conversely, Black Canary's scream has never been stronger. Um, so, yeah, it's it's they're they're challenged, let's say. Um but when Hippolyta showed, when Flash realizes it's a mistake, around the same time Hippolyta makes a uh, an appearance at the Hall of Justice, sends her there. I guess he sends her there with the correct math because she seems as powerful as ever, and she helps yeah. the Justice League defeat Brutus. <laughs> and they're about to make their escape when all of a sudden the real uh, power of that world, uh, the reason that apparently Brutus and his allies don't want to be there, uh, shows up. Zumbado, who's this giant, almost anvil-fisted, you know, we don't get a good look at him. He just shows up on kind of the last page. Um, he looks like a some kind of a purple Tron-esque anvil-fisted, maybe dark side, doomsday Mongol, kind of very hulking figure in a in what looks to be a hoodie of all things. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, it, it's not the best uh, design. And I will also say, you know, David Marquez's art, normally I, I really enjoy um, this, you know, speaking of rush, this felt a little rushed to me. It was a little messier than I'm used to seeing from him. And I wonder if this is one of those cases where, you know, they're going straight from his digital pencils to color. 
And if he might not be one of those artists that does benefit from having an inker, um, but it, that's nitpicky. I mean, overall, the art is, you know, very, very solid. I'd give it an, an eight out of 10. What's not so solid is, uh, is the story, especially when you get, we get into the battle. Um, there's, and I get it. Like Bendis wants to show off the, the spectacular art of, uh, of David Marquez when it comes to doing splash pages and these dynamic battle scenes, he does a very good job, you know, despite what I said earlier about, you know, the technique of the lines, the layout, the storytelling, um, you know, these little circular insets, uh, it really conveys the action very well, but unfortunately it makes, because of, you know, we got like three, what, four, five, six double page spreads in a row. Yeah. Um, that makes it really hard to have a, a narrative that's not choppy. Yeah. And that's well, exactly Bendis that's Bendis exactly has said that. You you make a good point. Bendis has said he's often bragged that he he works with his artists. He he writes for his artists and I I think it's quite clear here he he probably did that just to maybe to allow David Marquez to show off his art. Yeah, and I get that and and that's a an admiral thing to do, but I I think you got to split these up. We got to get a couple pages with some panels in here just to reestablish the the flow of the story so it's not that it's a bad story um i think the previous issue was better it's not that it's the most original story either i think this is you know a very very tropey story and it it still continues to uh kind of foreshadow naomi saving the day at some point i do like that hippolyta really shines here i like that black canary gets to really shine with her screen uh her uh, her canary scream sort of amped up in power so it's it's okay it's you know, I, I didn't expect much from Bendis's Justice League run. It's been overall, I'll say, better than uh, I thought it would be. But I think this is the weakest issue since the first, in in my uh, in my opinion. Um, and for once, it's not the dialogue, um, although the dialogue is, you know, it's Bendis. So there's a lot <laughs> yeah. of word balloons here. Um, but it's not necessarily it's not necessarily awkward dialogue. It's just maybe a little bit too much dialogue. But mostly, it was just that middle section during the fight where it just felt really choppy. For me, so uh, it still continues to be okay. Um, I, you know, if somebody asked me, "Well, do you recommend it?" I'd say this. I'd say if you're a fan of Bendis, then I think you'll enjoy it. If you're not a fan of Bendis, he still does all those things that probably make <laughs> you not a fan of him. That's exactly. And right. you can probably and you can probably skip it. So, uh, and I, I'll, I'll give Rocky a chance to talk about the main story, and then we'll dive into the the backup. What do you think, Rocky? Well, uh, you know, uh, to be to be blunt here. Uh, yeah, at this point, I mean, you, you could pretty much cut and paste my criticisms and, and frankly, yours as well for every Bendis story we, we've read. Uh, I mean, you know, if I spoke in generic terms, you could cut and paste my review of this to to any other uh, Bendis JLA title uh, so far. And uh, the reality here is th- this here, the good thing is that David Marquez's art gets to shine and we get a, the double page spreads are pretty cool. Uh, are there too many of them in terms of the story? Uh, yeah, probably. But I did enjoy seeing them. I I love David Marquez's art. I remember Civil War Two. I had issues with the story of Civil War Two, which was also written by Brian Bendis and drawn by David Marquez. But I love the art on Civil War Two. It was just beautiful. Uh, I do think the line work here. I think you made some good observations there. But the line work here is not quite as smooth. Maybe a different inker would. David Marquez would benefit from maybe a better inker or finishes there, but still, this is great art. the The dialogue is is still a little bit odd. Barry Allen sounding like you know, 
I have a hard oh, time. Whiz. What's that? He's like, oh, gee whiz, I messed up the math. Well, he says I sent them away on bad math. Well, actually, see, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know what that means because, first of all, I mean, there, there's so much wrong with, with the logic of this story. It's ridiculous. He didn't send them away on bad math. The math was right. Why? Because he sent them to the right place. So that's not even true. The math was for triangulation and sending him to the appropriate coordinates. That's exactly what he did. He sent him to the appropriate Earth. So I don't know why the math was wrong. The math was dead on. Uh, unless he meant something else. He, he sent them away on bad math, meaning that he sent the, the, the math. If, if he would have corrected the math, would that have changed the reality that they're all being poisoned by being in that reality? I mean, why? how would the math tell him that? That doesn't make any sense. Like, again... I'm sure I'm probably nitpicking here, but I'm actually not. This is not Barry Allen. If 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 he actually clued in that sending them to that universe was killing them and poisoning them, he would not say the phrase "I sent them away on bad math." He would say they're going to die, Hippolyta. We have to get them out of that universe now. But this is just Bendis's clever way of trying to be clever, trying to use his stupid dialogue again that makes no sense. It's it's unclear. It's 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 ridiculous. Even even the the the, the dialogue of Brutus here. Uh, Brutus's dialogue is like, you know, Bendis always tries to shock the reader. By, by imposing dialogue on new persons, like Brutus is supposed to be a big badass, but but Brutus is, I guess, he reads like an average guy on the street. Oh, well, now I'm annoyed, at one point Brutus says. And just the way Brutus talks, it's like some guy on the street as opposed to some villain. There's never any heightened sense of brutality or villainy with, with Bendis' villains. Everyone, Everyone's so conversational. They're all talking the same and sounding the same. Uh, and frankly, I, I sound the same every time I talk about Bendis because it's the same criticisms. But in any event... Um, Having said that, you know, this is really dragging out the story. It's, you know, again, we're going to get, I guarantee we're, we're in the th we're third chapter now of this. We're going to get to the sixth chapter and, and all this is going to be of the next three issues is a protracted battle with uh, Zimbardo and we're still not going to know much about him. We're still not going to know much about the, the universe or his multiverse. You yourself said it now. They're not superpowers. They're mega powers. Bendis needs to have his own universe to do what he wants. So this is disconnected from the Omniverse and everything else and until Bendis wants it to be connected, then it will be. And oh, it's just, it's it's frustrating from a story perspective. But uh, thank God we got JL Dark to uh, cushion the blow. But, you know, having said that, you're right. If you're a Bendis fan, this is okay. This is actually better. This is the best Bendis has been. <laughs> you know, this is better Bendis at DC than he has been for a while. So I'll give him that. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah. But uh, uh, JL Dark, you want ahead. to talk about that? Yeah, right. yeah, no, yeah, go ahead. Give us your thoughts on uh, Justice League Dark. Oh, I, I, I love Justice League Dark because uh, we're, we're uh, last issue with the Justice League Dark. We, uh, Merlin, the villain Merlin, ended up at the Library of Babel and he, he, he withdrew a book. And we didn't know what book he withdrew from the library, but the Justice League Dark, they're looking for Merlin because Merlin is trying to, uh, I guess, sort of revitalize magic or or ultimately revitalize magic to such an extent that he ends up doing what we know he does in Future State, which is, I'm not even sure what the hell it is, but he, he, he harkens back a, a new age of magic in which he controls. And uh, what I really love about Justice League Dark, and sorry about here, I should maybe uh, uh, try to do two things at once here, but... 
uh, Merlin, uh, the, uh, pardon me, John Constantine, the demon, and Zatanna, they're at the Library of Babel, and they're trying to figure out what books, <laughs> what books that, uh, that, that Merlin may have withdrew from the library, but they got to find the librarian, but the librarian can't, is, because it's a magical place, can't be found. And so they come up with an ingenious way to attract the librarian who is completely aware because all the books that have ever been written at any point in time have are in the library. And there's just a fantastic scene here of a breaking of the fourth wall. At one point, Ragman actually takes out a book and it's the, it's the Justice League Dark. It's Ram V's. It's the writer's own notes in a booklet in this library. It's like, a, a, and it's, and in this book reveals one of Zatanna's secrets, namely that every time she uses her powers, the upside down man gains more and more control of her. So the ragman knows her secret. And so that's an interesting little tidbit. <laughs> and meanwhile, Zatanna, in order to attract the librarian, because the librarian is aware of every single page of all the words and all the books, she, she uses her magic and speaks backwards and adds an extra word to every single page of every book in the library, which attracts the librarian. And ultimately, the librarian then informs them uh, which book the Upside Down Man, uh, or pardon me, which, which book the Merlin withdrew. And the book that Merlin withdrew is called the Eternity Book, and the it, it contains maps by an ancient cartographer, and it leads him to ancient Atlantis, where at, ultimately at the end we see Merlin uh, in ancient Atlantis trying to wake up and to reignite some of the old magic, because at, Atlantis is where the first bastion of magic on Earth came into being, and so... This is just wonderful. Uh, I love how many, it's just, you mentioned it last time when we reviewed Justice League, just how in, in a significantly fewer number of pages, we get double and triple the amount of character work and entertainment than we do in all the pages of Justice League. And there seems to be a better rapport between writer and artist. And, you know, in this case, Ram V, I think it's a double-edged sword. Ram V isn't. Ram V just wants to tell a story, and it's Xermanico's job as the artist to uh, to to draw that story. There's none of this. Well, I'll you know I'll write the story for my artist. I got a better idea. How about you just write your story, and if the artist is any good, he'll 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 figure out a way to draw it, and uh, just just let let that come to life on its own. And I just love this. I love the breaking of the fourth wall. Ram V continues to impress the hell out of me, and I'm running out of adjectives to describe my enjoyment of his writing. Yeah, I agree. Um, disappointed once again that it's you know such a small uh, installment because we do get some great character moments. We get great character moments between John Constantine and Jason Blood, who, where you know I, I mentioned the fact that it's Jason Blood and not the demon here is is spectacular. I think we don't get haven't gotten enough of Jason Blood over the years. It's always Etrigan. Yep. Etrigan plays a, plays a big role in the just the Future State Justice League Dark story, so it does make sense that you know Jason Blood does have that uh, that knowledge, same knowledge that Etrigan has. But we're getting uh, him, we're getting characterization, we're getting story of Jason Blood uh, rather than than the demon. And I love that Constantine. You can tell there's no love lost there. They're very in, in ways they're very similar. 
Um, but I think one of the things that bugs Constantine about Jason Blood is even though they are very similar, everybody calls Constantine and and uh, sort of believes that Constantine's sort of a, a bastard, right? Jason Blood is so similar, makes a lot of the same choices, uh, but he, <laughs> he doesn't have that same reputation, you know? He's much more liked, uh, and I think there's a little resentment from Constantine on my part, or maybe I'm misreading that, but... Uh, again, great characterization. The things that we learn about Zatanna here—that um, there's a, a a part of the uh, the upside down man within her, and the more she uses her magic, uh, which if people weren't reading Justice League Dark before, maybe when it was its own title, maybe you weren't aware of that. Um, so it's nice that Ram V reminds anybody who's coming on that was uh, th- that's here for for Bendis's Legion and is reading Justice League Dark because hey you paid for it you might as well read it and it's spectacular so now you understand why she's so reluctant to use her magic every time she uses it there's a chance that the uh, upside down man's influence within her could grow we get some good character uh, characterization of Ragman so again it's just it, it moves the narrative forward as Rocky said Merlin is an Atlantis we get a great scene with Merlin walking on water it, it's just it's really really spectacular storytelling where the characterization is there but it doesn't take over the plot the story is moving forward it it would be so easy right or um or so understandable i guess is the word i should use with only eight to ten pages for ram v to say okay well this week i've got to focus on characterization we're not going to really move have time to move the narrative forward at all in a in a very short amount of pages He's still moving the narrative forward. He's still telling us the story, but we're still exploring the relationships of these characters. So, yeah, it's it's a master class in, in how to write comics. Um, and Rambi continues between this and Catwoman and the, the many deaths of Layla Starr. Uh, you know, the guy's just – he's firing on, on all cylinders, somebody everybody should be paying attention to. So, uh, all right, well, let's do uh, Crime Syndicate number four next. This – particular issue happens to sort of focus on Emerald Knight, who's uh, the the power ring equivalent, I guess, uh, in the old uh, or the original, I guess you'd say, crime syndicate. Uh, power ring was the Green Lantern analog. Now we have Emerald Knight, uh, John Stewart version of, of Green Lantern. The main story is written by Andy Schmidt. Kieran McCown does the pencils. Dexter, Dexter Vines on inks. Steve Olaf does colors and Rob Lee on letters. And then we have a backup story. Uh, starring the Emerald Knight with sort of his origin. It's also written by Andy Schmidt with art by Brian Hitch and colors by Alex Sinclair. Rob Lee handles the letters on both. Uh, and we also got a lot more Alexander Luther in this issue. So uh, curious, Rocky, what did you think? You've been uh, enjoying this series so far. What do you think of this issue? Uh, it, it, it was okay. It was okay. I'm, I'm a little bit, um, I was a little bit confused uh I actually think that John Stewart is potentially the most interesting character here. I was trying to get a handle on him this issue, and I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if what writer Andy Schmidt has done has been is is brilliant and is intentional, or if uh, maybe he's uh, miss miss missed the ball a little bit here. I'll I'll I'll, I'll take the blame myself. I I the whole point of John Stewart here is that he's. Uh, he's he he's a good cop. He was a good cop that that this this power ring, which is a you know, in this uh, Emerald Knights. They're not Green Lanterns in Earth Three. In the Earth Three universe, they're not called Green Lanterns. They're Emerald Knights essentially. 
and they're the Owens. The Owens are basically kind of evil, and the Owens destroyed the all all the Starros, and they were hunting down the Starros. And of course, the crime syndicate was formed in the last few issues by they were attacked. Starros came to Earth looking for help against the Owens. <laughs> And of course, the crime syndicate kills the Staros. And now in this issue, they're cleaning up. Uh, they refuse to help, you know, the cit ordinary citizens clean up the Staros. And, uh, and meanwhile, Emerald Knight John Stewart here has declared martial law on Coast City. And, uh, and he's, he, he, he insists on protecting Coast City, even from the authorities. So the military is trying to come in there, but. He's keeping the military out because he's declared himself almost like the protector of Coast City. Meanwhile, Johnny Quick and Atomica are taking over uh, Keystone City, and uh, they're you know they, they've caused chaos there. And Alexander Luther is using that using that bad that that PR uh, to his advantage because he he wants to use that as an example and tell the people of the Earth, look look how bad these metahumans are. And he he sends out a message to all the other metahumans. Uh, and he essentially creates sort of like a metahuman PR campaign where, you know, he's trying to recruit as many metahumans he can into his, what we will, we not now know will be the Legion of Justice. And meanwhile, Owlman is, knows what Alexander Luther's up to. And Owlman has his own plan that he wants to get together with Donna Troy, Superwoman, and they want to recruit Ultraman. And they go to the Arctic to recruit Ultraman to get him on board. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, you know, there's a, there's a lot that happens here. And I, I got to give writer Andy Schmidt some credit. Now I was, uh, you know, I started off being a little bit wondering if maybe the characterization of John Stewart, I'm not sure if John Stewart's going to end up being a bad guy or not. John Stewart ends up joining the Legion of justice, but I can't help thinking that John Stewart is is just playing possum that he's just going undercover you know they actually got sinestro sinestro uh is actually of course a, a good guy here sinestro became used to be a, an emerald knight himself but then was the owens killed his wiped out his planet and so he became a sinestro with the, he created his own yellow ring and he uses it for for justice and but i can't help but think that this whole this this idea of Emerald Knight joining the Legion of Justice uh, to battle against ultimately the the crime syndicate, it's I'm sure it's misdirection. I think it's it's probably fairly obvious and it's telegraphed that at some point John Stewart's gonna gonna uh, you know betray the Legion of Justice, betray Alexander Luther, and uh, but I uh, but it's interesting. So Andy Schmidt actually has me questioning. You know what is just John Stewart? Like I want John Stewart. Because he's got a daughter, and he, he, you know, he was a good cop, and he borrowed money from, I guess, the mob to, to for his daughter's operations. His daughter Lisa uh, was crippled, and she became healed from. He paid. He borrowed some money from the mob for, uh, I think, to get some surgery for his daughter, and then they came to collect. Even after he, after he paid them back, and just as they were coming in to collect, that's when the ring came on to him, and he he killed he killed the the son of the of the person who he owed who he owes money to apparently and in any event um there's there's a lot of characterization there's a lot of history that that went into this issue and boy there's so much there's so much to build upon here for for future stories this is just a lot it was a lot for me to process and in the end 
I liked it. I liked it. And I'm openly wondering now, is Jon Stewart, I'm sure Jon Stewart's going to portray the Legion of Justice, but I'm curious. And I'm also, I love that Donna Troy sexually teased Ultraman by telling him that she, she wants an heir, using her, using her feminine wiles to lure Ultraman to join the crime syndicate. Because I think Ultraman could care less about the crime syndicate or about the metahuman war that Owlman talks about. <laughs> he just wants to get laid. He just wants to be with Donna Troy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so what's not to love? <laughs> what's yeah, not to I mean, love, Jeez? Al, Al man wants the the power. That's you know, and it's clear to Ultraman that that's what why Al man is there. Um, <laughs> but Ultraman wants it. You know, we're we're finally getting because honestly, to this point, uh, the first three issues, Ultraman's come across like a pretty big meathead, to be honest. And he does have some smarts, you know, um, and, and he hasn't that hasn't been shown. But here he he shows that he's a little more self aware and uh aware of what's going on than than previous in in the series and so you know when he asks well what do you want you know donna troy you're super powerful what what could you want well i want an heir oh i can definitely help with that so he's still very much full of himself he's still ultraman yeah. he's still an egotist but <laughs> yeah i i did appreciate you know with with just that one line or those those few lines him asking well, what do you want donna troy it's it's some of the best characterization we've gotten of Ultraman so far. So um, I've been sort of back and forth on this series. It, it hasn't really captured me yet uh, until this issue. I think this is the best issue of the series so far, um, and and not necessarily because it spotlights John Stewart. Although I do agree with Rocky that he is the most complex character of this new version of of the Crime Syndicate. Um, I do feel like his origin or maybe the motivations of the, the character, the kind of the behind the scenes, uh, the makeup of him, it, it feels like despite the change we got with uh, power or a superwoman rather being um, Donna Troy rather than Diana Prince, that's sort of a superficial change. She still seems very much like the same character. Ultraman seems like the same character, if uh, not a little dumber. Um, although, like I said, this issue may change that. Owlman seems the least changed. You know, he's still brilliant. He's still, you know, Batman, if Batman had no morality. Um, but John Stewart, it's very different, right? The uh, the original power ring was very much a coward, and the ring sort of uh, takes him over, uh, if you will. And it's really the, the – I mean, that's why they call him power ring. It's really the ring and the man – wielding it as just sort of a puppet. Well, that still seems to be the case, especially when we uh, read the, the, the backup story here, the origin of uh, Walls Closing In, the, the origin of, of the Emerald Knight, John Stewart here. Um, but it's interesting, right? Rather than this power ring searching out somebody who's a complete coward um, and is filled with fear, much like the, the, uh, the power ring after the, after the events, I think it was... Uh, what was that? Forever Evil, uh, when the, the power ring went and searched out you know, Jessica Cruz because she was so filled with terror, she couldn't even leave her house, agoraphobic and whatnot. This ring searches out Jon Stewart because he very much believes in law and order, um, maybe to the point of having some fascist tendencies. Uh, and it's, it very well could be a product of, you know, he's a person of color. He's seen the upbringing um, that has had the injustice of being a person of color growing up in our society, like firsthand, right? He's, he's yeah. seen that. And so you can completely understand him 
wanting to right these injustices to the point of taking it too far. Right. I want to. Yeah. Did you find? Ahead. Did you find that? Uh, I thought that. I think maybe this. His one weakness, he he fears losing his daughter because that, there's that one scene where she says, "My father is dead." As far as I'm concerned, my father is dead. So somewhere along the line, he must have had a falling out with his daughter Lisa. And I think he fears losing her. And I think that's his one weakness that makes him susceptible to the power ring, if I was to venture a guess. Well, my, my guess is she can't forgive him. She she fears him based on the fact that he killed those people right in front of her. Um, and at that point, she's just like, no, I don't recognize you anymore. Yeah. And and his motivation. So he, he, he's gone from, OK, I'm going to I finally have the power to write these injustices as I see them. And as we all know, we're all humans we're all flawed we're all imperfect no one really has the right to truly judge another um because your judgment's going to be flawed because as humans we're inherently imperfect um and so he is trying for his daughter's sake to be perfect to you know save the planet do whatever he can you know blah 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 in his mind um because he's trying to make up for what he did show his daughter that yes i i am still your father, I do still love you. I am still a good person. When really what he should do if he wants to reconcile with her is give it give it up, right? He needs to go the other direction. Instead of exercising more and more power to, to prove himself, he needs to give it up. But we know that the power ring exerts tremendous influence as well. So the power ring is taking advantage of those flaws he has as a human and uh, exacerbating that as well. So again, it's, it's great characterization. It's very, it's very different, you know, going with the person that has fascist tendencies, hey, law and order and justice and whatnot, rather than going with fear. Uh, I completely expect this legion of justice to not survive the next issue. Um, <laughs> because I, and I could be wrong. Uh, this is a new version. You know, we had Andy Schmidt himself tell us this is a new version of uh, of Earth 3 and of the crime syndicate. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like that's something that's so classic to Earth 3, right, is all the superpowered human beings are all villains and the only one fighting against them is Alexander Luthor, who actually doesn't have any superpowers, but fights them through mm. technology, um, you know, wearing a battle suit or jetpack and laser guns and, and whatever. So wouldn't be surprised to see this Legion of Justice get their bucks kicked. But I guess that remains to be seen. I fully expect Jon Stewart to to change teams, as it were. Um, the other thing that's <laughs> the, I, just a little nitpick, I think overall the art is really great. Um, I typically prefer a little uh, lighter line. Uh, Kieran McCown uses pretty pretty heavy lines, um, which is fine. You know that's his style. Uh, it just doesn't make my, my favorite. But the one thing that that does bug me is the the mask of John Stewart. It looks like a butterfly on his face. <laughs> I'm sorry every time I look at it. I just I know it's supposed to be that symbol on his chest which I never understood what that symbol was supposed to be. It's the same symbol yeah. Power Ring had. Like you understand the Green Lantern symbol. It looks like a lantern. I've never yeah. understood why there's this green X for the, the power. And, and, and honestly, yeah. it does look like a, a butterfly. But yeah. yeah, but again, it's, 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 a, it's a minor nitpick. Um, the only other thing I'll say is the colors are done by both Alex Sinclair and uh, is it Ramulo Fajardo Jr.? Uh, no, Steve Olaf. Sorry, a um, lot of green, which you would expect, and even uh, Alexander Luther's armor is green, which is kind of a throwback or a reminder that you know the battle armor of of our Lex Luthor in our world is is green as well. Well, I shouldn't say our world, but Earth One, um, 
so that just made you know even even more green. But uh, I thought the colors were handled well, the storytelling, uh, the pacing, it, it's all done really really well. Yeah, I, I thought this was uh, was the best issue so far. A- Andy Schmidt, you know, I, I had said I, I wasn't sure, I didn't, I wasn't relating to the characters, I wasn't sure. I was waiting for Alexander Luther, and he said, oh, he's he'll be there. Uh, you know, it shows up a lot more in issue three, uh, and he did, but I, I still didn't feel like he, he didn't really get a chance to shine. In this issue, he does. This is the first time we're really starting to get some characterization for Luther, and he's kind of in in a rock and a hard place, and I totally get that, and it feels very Earth 3, right? It feels very crime syndicate. And the the last thing I'll say about the story is – so the crime syndicate is interesting as a concept because it's a very Silver Age concept, and what I mean by that is the classic stories of of the crime syndicate being from that Silver Age era, it's all very much delineated – good versus bad, right? It's everything's black and white. It's not a world with a lot of gray. The crime syndicate uh, members are bad and Alexander Luther is, is good. The story that Andy Schmidt is telling here, this is a much more chaotic world. You know, there's a lot of gray area. Um, everything feels in this story feels kind of messy. The world feels kind of messy. Um, and, and that could even go toward, Hey, here in, in this issue. We're not sure. Is John Stewart going to end up on the side of the angels? Is he going to end up with the crime syndicate? Like what's going on yeah. there? What's going on with uh, this, uh, this justice legion? Are they going to, or legion of justice rather, are they going to end up as good guys? Are they going to end up as bad guys? Like, Cause I mentioned, you know, the world or three, we know there's all the metahumans are, are actually villains. Well, in talking about this story, which has been sort of messy and chaotic, all this time. And and that's been something I've been sort of pushing back against and and why I haven't enjoyed it. But I think the realization I've come through in reading this issue, and I think it it speaks to the great characterization Eddie Schmidt has done. I think it's purposely chaotic because it is messy. The world world is messy. This this is, you know, I've probably been a little unfairly comparing it against the classic uh, crime syndicate stories and, and, you know, thinking about how much I love those and looking at it with little rose colored glasses and, you know, n- nostalgia. Um, this is a crime syndicate. This is a earth three for a more modern time where things aren't so cut and dry. I think the world is chaotic. It is messy. There aren't any easy answers. Um, and so I'll give kudos to Andy Schmidt, uh, whether he's do- did that on purpose or not. That's what I'm finally picking up from this story. Um, yeah. Is, is yeah. it a little messy? Is, is the, are the motivations a little murky and unclear? Are we not sure where everybody stands? Yeah. yeah. And I think, he, I think yeah. he's, he's clearly moving toward a, uh, he's creating a status quo. That, that's really what he's doing. He, he's, what he's doing is that, uh, and I'm not, I got mixed feelings about it. And I might be wrong on this, but I think that he's, he's moving toward creating a status quo where there's, everything is just the opposite as opposed to the bad guys being on top. There's a very big difference between, the, a world where the bad guys have won and maintain power versus just flipping, you know, reversing everything. Uh, he's approach. He's, he seems to be approaching this like he's reversed everything, and that's not really what Earth Three is. Not not the classic Earth Three. Earth Three is no the crime syndicates up top. Everything the world is below the crime syndicate. Above right. you, Ultraman is above you, and if you defy him, no matter who you are, world leader or a pauper. He will incinerate you with his heat vision. I like the classic Grant Morrison interpretation of Earth of why well, he called it he called it Earth Two in the hardcover, but it was really Earth Three. But in any event, 
but I don't even mind this. If this is going to be a new status quo for Earth 3, that everything's flipped, but the bad guys slightly have the edge, I can live with that if we get some good stories out of it, and I think we are. And I like the Easter egg, so I don't mind this. I, I, I don't mind this, and I think that he's planted enough seeds that there's a lot of fun that we can have for not only this story that he's telling, but moving forward. Yeah, and we do have two issues left, so it wouldn't surprise me if the next issue, maybe it's going to be a spotlight on, I don't know, maybe maybe Johnny Quick, who still seems like a hillbilly to me, and I, I don't know that I have that much interest in learning more about him, but maybe I need to. Uh, and then maybe issue six will be a big blowout battle where uh, Ultraman does kind of throw down the gauntlet, right? Like, join the crime syndicate or die. Um, so I guess I guess we'll wait and see. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to Batman Catwoman number four. I swear we were further along in the series than this. Did no, we miss it's actually Batman Catwoman five. Oh, is it? Well, we reviewed Batman Catwoman four already. <laughs> did we? Because I, I don't remember. This, yeah, we did. <clears throat> they, they they screwed up on our preview copies. They, okay, they gave us. I the- I, they they screwed up. They gave us. They gave us Batman Catwoman four on the the covers for Batwoman. Okay. Batman Catwoman f- uh, f- four, but right. the, the interior they gave us in the preview copies were, was the interior for issue five. But they gave us okay. the wrong covers. Yeah, because okay, I so yes. So what we what we're gonna read and what we're gonna review is in fact issue five. Issue five. Okay. The covers yeah, they screwed up on. Yeah, when I was looking, I'm like, this looks awfully familiar. I could swear, it, especially the Jim it, Lee. Yeah. yeah, especially the Jim Lee cover. I'm like, I could swear. But then I started reading. I'm like, no, we haven't. Because we see Harley, old old lady Harley, kind of sh- you know show up um, on the doorstep of Wayne Manor and, uh, you know, crash her car and, and go inside and, and uh, attack Catwoman. And so, yeah, I thought, wait, no, I, I definitely would have remembered reading this. Um, but in any event, uh, written by Tom King, the art is by Clay Mann, uh, colors by Tamea More. I'm, I'm not sure who did the letters, and I don't see credits in here anywhere. So apologize to the, to the letter. Um, but, yeah, I thought that uh, – I thought it was pretty fun. Um, and, you know, Rocky was saying earlier you could – you could kind of cut and paste his uh, criticism of a Benis's justice league. I, I feel like you could do the same for me for, for Batman Catwoman. I'm really enjoying the story, but the th- three different timelines to me are a little sometimes hard to follow. And I meant to go back and look at my copies. Um, I think they're in a the stack over there behind me. Um, but to, to look at my previous copies of Batman Catwoman, because I was noticing in this issue, that the background of each of the timelines is the coloring is a little different. And so I meant to go back, at least in this issue. So I meant to go back and look and see if those timelines tend to have those hues, right? Like the, the timeline in, in, I I think it's the timeline that's in the middle is sort of greenish in hue. The, uh, the timeline that's, I think the earliest timeline is sort of blue ish. And then the, the current timeline, there is no overall hue. Um, which is with, you know, the older Selena Kyle and, and Harley Quinn showing up at Gotham Matter. So I'm, I meant to go back and look. I just didn't get a chance to. So if that's the case, and I just haven't noticed and, until now, for finally five issues in, you know, sh- shame on me. That's on me. Um, 
but I, I will say that it, while they're all interesting, it does make, as I have said in the past, it does make it a little hard to follow at times. And it makes it one of those titles, which is often the case with the Tom King book where you really got to have all 12 issues and read it all in one sitting to yeah. get the most out of it and to kind of understand I agree. it. Especially, yeah. Especially when you got three timelines going on uh, because the other part of it is we do get some nice characterization and we do get some nice uh, momentum on the stories, but just like with justice league dark where I'm left feeling, I need more. I, I need more. Like I'd rather Tom was giving us like, like trade up, like you have uh, you have 12 issues, right? So if you did each issue as one whole timeline and alternate between the three, right? So issue three is the early issue two is the middle issue three is the latest and then just continue that pattern. Then you'd basically end up with four issues of each timeline. So we're sort of getting that because each issue has a third of each timeline, but it's, it's, it's like, you're just start to get into reading what's going on in a certain timeline and then it changes. And so yeah. it's hard to sink your teeth into the story and to feel invested in the story because as soon as we get a chunk of it, you know, we're moved to a different timeline. I mean, it's great for Tom cause he knows how it's all going to work out in the end. Um, but it makes it, it makes it tough when you're reading the monthlies to kind of get invested in, in the story. So I don't know. I haven't gone back and reread. Maybe if I, you know, if I sit down and read issues one through five all together in one sitting, uh, I imagine I'd get more out of it. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's one of those things we've talked about it before where, uh, you know, a lot of times I think a lot of the Tom King stories would just be better suited to just put them out, you know, in one chunk as a, as a graphic novel. But uh, the art by Clay Mann, you know, Clay Mann is, is spectacular. For, for my money, he's one of the top three artists working in, in comics today. Tameo More, one of the best color uh, color artists. So the, the art is spectacular. I love the uh, the mask, sort of the clown clownish mask that uh, it's almost like a mime mask that the older Harley Quinn wears uh, when she shows up um, for fans of Mask of the Phantasm. You know, her characterization has been very, very good. Uh, a lot of action dialogue is, you know, typical Tom King dialogue. It's very smart. Um, so yeah, I, again, it's my, my criticisms are the criticisms I've had throughout. Um, and I, I can't wait to just have this whole series be done and sitting in front of me and being able to read it all in one sitting. Um, and I have mentioned in the past and I, I do sort of feel this, uh, as well in reading this issue is, and I get it. Clay's not the fastest because his art is super detailed, but this, this whole story did lose some momentum because it did come out so long after Tom's Batman run has already ended. And what James Tynan is doing in Batman is so disconnected from this story that this does feel sort of anticlimactic in a way, you know, it, it feels very disconnected, which I suppose is fine. It is a black label book and it's not necessarily Canon, but as DC's fond of saying, we kind of let our fans decide what's can kind of like killing joke, which became Canon just because yeah. everybody loved it so much. So anyway, th that's kind of where I'm at with this. Uh, yeah. like, technically it's, it's, you know, it's well paced. It, the dialogue is, is good scripted. Well, the art spectacular. Um, but yeah, it's just that story structure. I don't know if it's best served in this format. So what are your thoughts, Rocky? Uh, this is beautiful art, and it's uh, really uh, it's so great and sexy to see a, a new Harley Quinn. You know, 
to see Clay Mann's version of an older Harley Quinn, Harley, an older Harley Quinn is still sexy as hell, John by Claire. I mean, who's going to object? I mean, I, I'm going to buy this issue just to see Clay Mann dr- uh, draw uh, Catwoman and uh, even a, even an older Selena Kyle, two old women, Selena Kyle and uh, Harley Quinn fighting, and it still looks sexy as hell. Go figure. <laughs> and that's really what this entire issue is. It's a glorified, it's a glorified fight scene, uh, beautifully rendered uh, between. Selena Kyle and uh, an older Selena Kyle and Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn's upset because uh, it's it's well established in the narrative that that Selena ultimately Catwoman kills the Joker. At least Catwoman appeared to kill the Joker early on. In fact, that was at the end of issue one, I believe, yep. or or issue one or two or something. In any event, uh, and so now the you know now the big mystery is why did Selena kill the Joker? And it has something to do with the Phantasm, and the Phantasm is still alive and wants revenge. And and in this issue, the Phantasm even takes revenge on one of Joker's old minions, and she want. And again, you're you're right when you talk about the three timelines. I, you know, we've we've talked before. You and I have been very generous with Tom King. I think we've been generally we've acknowledged that his Rorschach's gotten better. It's pretty. It's actually gotten. I think I've I've really enjoyed it anyway. I th- I think he's doing a good job with Rorschach. That his pacing is and his story is actually coming together, which surprises me. And uh, his Strange Adventures, his latest one, I think that story is actually coming together near the end too. It's uh, I'm enjoying it. I like the mystery and the intrigue there. He's actually nailing the landing, which. Frankly, I never would have thought Tom King would be able to do, given my the what he, given how I felt about his Batman run. But you know, I said before too, is Batman Catwoman here? This is a little bit more convoluted. I totally agree. I think that when when we read it, like you said, if we read this from beginning to end, maybe over the full twelve issues that we get, maybe it's going to read a lot better. But right now, this this three timelines, it's just not working. It's it's still very. It's convoluted, and I get a very strong sense that it's so unnecessary. I don't need the three timelines here. I don't need. I don't need to to have this. There's there's no reason. Um, it, it it's almost like I get a I get a very strong sense, and I hope I'm wrong that 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 there's not much story to tell. So the one way that he'll drag out the story is well, why don't I just create three timelines, and. I'm not even sure what the purpose of having their daughter, like their daughter, their their the hunt the the huntress or the the new bat future Batwoman. What's the point of even having the daughter there? And the daughter confronts her mom. You know, tell me about the Joker last issue. And I, I'm not really sure what the purpose is here. I'm not sure if there's going to be any payoff. I'm not sure what the big deal is. I mean, if if Catwoman killed the Joker, my, the question I ask myself is, who cares? Like I'm, I'm really serious when I say that. I, I don't think that's a big deal. Does, is it really that much of a stretch that Selina would would kill the Joker? You know, uh, years after Bruce Wayne dies, after Batman, after Batman Annual Two, where where Bruce Wayne dies of Alzheimer's, Selina then kills the Joker. Finally, kills the Joker. That's not really, that's not really big news to me. Now, if there's a story there, tell me that story. But it feels like he's taking forever to tell me that story. And so far, it doesn't really seem to be all that interesting other than just showing the phantasm seemingly coming back to life and, you know, confronting Selena. And it's this. there's melodrama here 
but no story, if that makes any sense. It's all it's all flash and no substance at this point for me. But if there's a payoff, maybe I can I can go back and reread some of the previous issues and be rewarded, like like in Strange Adventures. I felt that I could do that. I was rewarded with the latest issue of Strange Adventures. I could go back and reread some of those scenes and maybe get a better appreciation for them. But in any event, the jury is still out on this one, and that's me being ge- as generous as I possibly can be. Yeah, well, again, I'll point to the fact that we get so so much of so little, I guess I should say, of each particular timeline. I mean, we're not even halfway through this series yet. This is only issue five of twelve, and if you think about it, um, you know, like I said, if if he were doing it, you know, one issue was one timeline, so it would take three issues to get it. It, it if you if you put each timeline in its own issue we're only one issue through each timeline and one and a half i guess issues through through each timeline so yeah i mean i would so let if we think of this as okay this is really if it's 12 issues and there's three timelines each timeline's going to get four issues worth of story could you say if you were reading a four issue mini and you were only an issue and a half through it you couldn't really – I feel like most of the time you're not really going to be able to say, hey, I really like this miniseries. I think it was great if you're only an issue. You know, you got to at least finish two issues, maybe even start you know, a third before yeah. you really have an idea because that's when you're starting to approach the climax. Because I agree with you. At this point, Rocky, it's like I don't know what the point of the story is yet because I agree <laughs> with you. So Salita Kyle killed the Joker. So what? She probably wanted to kill him for years, mm-hmm. but knew that Bruce would disapprove. So waited until he passed on and then went and did what she'd wanted to do for years. Right. Yeah. Big deal. He, he deserved it long, <laughs> long ago. So <laughs> yeah. yeah why, why is the, why is the mask of the phantasm show up? Why? I, I love that Tom King made the mask of the phantasm a, a, a woman or was she a woman in the cartoon? I, I honestly don't remember. It's been, <laughs> yeah. it's been too, it's been too long. So yeah, sure. anyway, I, yeah. Yeah. yeah, again, it's just God, I, I, we're going to have to wait until we're like, I feel at least eight issues into this thing before we really can say, okay, I see what's going on here. So, and maybe King's doing that on purpose. Maybe it's a way for him to keep people guessing. I I don't know. Um, so yeah, come for the Clayman art and uh, maybe, it'll, <laughs> maybe it'll work out in the end. <laughs> I would not, I would, unless you're a Tom King fan, or a Clayman fan, this is not a series that I would recommend somebody jump on. Um, it, like if you didn't like Tom King's Batman run, don't you shouldn't be. Well, you hey, shouldn't if, be if, if you're if you're if you're in uh, if you're into, into elders and seniors and uh, uh, seniors beating <laughs> the hell out of each other, you know, got you got an old old woman Selena Kyle and Harley to 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 observe in issue five here. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, like p- pick it up and trade. I'm sure a lot of people are trade waiting on this one. I, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised to see this do gangbusters in, in trade. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, up next is uh, Swamp Thing number four. Uh, this is also written by Ram V. And I, I didn't even mention, the, you know, we, we talked about his Catwoman work and his uh, many deaths of Layla Star. Obviously, Justice League Dark. I totally spaced on the fact he's writing Swamp Thing right now. Uh, Mike Perkins is, handles the art. Mike Spicer does colors. Adita Bidikar on letters. Um, next issue. Uh, I think I mentioned this, or I think I mentioned it last time. Maybe not, but we definitely mentioned it when I had uh, John McRae on uh, on the, the show not too long ago. That he's going to be the fill-in artist on uh, on issue five. So look forward to seeing John McRae's take. He's never drawn an issue of Swamp Thing. He's just drawn him in a little tiny panel, and he gets to draw John Constantine. He's going to be 
in the next issue. So I'm really looking forward to that. And because of that, even though I said I was out, I went ahead and, and read this. Although in the interest of full disclosure, I did read it relatively quickly. I didn't spend a lot of time ruminating on it. Um, because despite my, my praise of Ram V, this doesn't feel like anything that's hugely original. Um, but it is well-written. It is well-paced. Uh, I do like the introduction of the idea that Levi Kamel's brother could be responsible maybe for Levi becoming Swamp Thing. So his, we learned in this issue that his brother bears some sort of grudge because he missed out on something. Or, I don't know. It's not clear. I th- probably if I went back and read the first three, there'd be more clues there. Yeah. Um, but he's caused a blight in the green. And so it seems like the green has maybe reached out to Levi and given him the power of Swamp Thing because he might be best suited to uh, to battle his brother or to stop his yeah. brother. Um, the art is great. The colors, especially Mark's, Mike Spicer's colors are the perfect complement to Mike Perkins' very detailed art. Um, so yeah, it's a very technically well-done book. It's very Swamp Thing. Uh, it, it feels like it belongs in that world. Um but doesn't feel wholly original and, and maybe it shouldn't because it is very much Swamp Thing. Uh, and that's that's kind of all I have to say about it. I've, I've said before, I'm not a giant Swamp Thing fan. So yeah, I don't know that I would have, I mean, it's hard for me. I get the preview copy. It's hard for me to go, oh, well, it's sitting there. I should read it. They took the time to send it to me. I should take the time to review it. Uh, so it's hard for me not to read something. But I didn't plan on reading it, but I, I went ahead and, and checked it out. And I thought it was nice enough. I mean, if you're a Swamp Thing fan, if you're a huge Ram V fan, you got to be digging this. Um, and I, I know that you've been really enjoying the series so far, Rocky. So what did you think of this one? I really liked it. Uh, one of the things that you and I joked about, and uh, I think when we reviewed the first issue of Swamp Thing, is that we joked we joked about how we want the DC Universe to have more hope. And we felt that the first issue, I think it was maybe the second issue, that it felt more hopeful. There was some sense of hope because it ended with the with the Banjai tree you know, coming at the end. And it ended on a hopeful note. And the, the hope that we're looking for in the DC Universe, it would actually end it on with a great deal of uh, a feeling of hope in the, in the story. And, you know, it's interesting, there, there's a hope theme in this issue as well that, uh, that uh, writer Ram V sort of builds upon. There is a contagion that's infecting the green. And one of the last words that Levi's father uh, said to him uh, that he heard his father say when his father was dying on this deathbed that's revealed in this issue, his father said, what have you done, Jacob? And Jacob is Levi's brother. And so Jacob very likely, as you indicated, very likely probably did something that released or or released the contagion contagion that is infecting the green and and it's interesting that how Ram V Ram V uh, um, he's been criticized in a way sometimes Ram writer Ram V has been criticized and I I don't necessarily agree with the criticism that he can be a little wordy sometimes that he gives a lot of exposition. I actually like Ramvi's exposition. I think he uses it well and it serves most of the time. It serves his narratives well. He uses that. And every word that Ramvi puts in his stories, I find generally benefits the story. And one of the things that he makes clear here is that he actually explains, because I'm not a long time Swamp Thing reader. I don't pretend to be an expert on Swamp Thing, but I get it. I have an understanding of what the green is. And he explains that the green is information. And the green is also the memory. It's nature, but it's, it's also the memory of everything. And, and what the contagion is doing is that it's infecting the memory. And, and what the contagion is doing is making the green 
only remember the malevolency of humanity, only remembering the bad of humanity. So it's infecting the memories of the green where, and the green is fighting back by creating hope. And that's why it reached out to Levi. So Levi really is a sense, he's the, he's the embodiment of the hope of the green to help them remember who they really are, to save the green. And the idea again, and they mentioned that same thing and that was in the first issue about bad ideas being overcome, you know, the, the better idea will win. And so we got this idea between the hope and the, and the contagion. And so there's thematic links between all these issues here and it works really well. Uh, his, his friend Jennifer uh, Royce ends up at, Jennifer Reese at the beginning ends up meeting with Jason Woodrow uh, and, and ultimately Swamp Thing ends up talking to Alec Holland or at least the memory of Alec Holland. And it works very well. They wake up in Prescott Labs once Levi sort of rescues uh, Jennifer, and they 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 leave Prescott Labs. But Prescott Labs is in uh, is is soon infiltrated by this character called Mister Pilgrim, who apparently is knows a lot about something called the Holland phenomena, which I'm assuming is related to Alec Holland, and he ends up contacting your favorite character, <laughs> Amanda Waller. As soon as I saw that at the end, I thought, boy, Jake's going to yeah. be happy. <laughs> Actually, you know you know what? When that happened, yeah, as soon as he picked up the phone and started calling, I knew exactly who who he was on the phone with. Like, I, I, I don't know how I knew, but I just – well, no, it's because he said Bell Rev. So I'm right. Like, as soon as he said that, and I, then I scrolled you know, to the next page, and I see her, and my immediate reaction was, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Like, I get it. There's a suicide movie coming, everybody. How about DC continue to beat us over the head with it? But yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, enough with the damn Suicide Squad crossover. And it's not even Suicide Squad. Like, it's just enough with Amanda Waller already. So, (laughs) I mean, Jesus. Well, yeah, and it's funny uh, because DC just released their 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 August solicitations, and it is riddled. Every single DC title has a Suicide Squad variant cover. Every single one. We we are going to be bombarded with suicide suicide variant covers, and I don't think it's a coincidence. I think this was. You know, all, all of these storylines involving in, in some way, shape or form, uh, Belle Reeve, the Suicide Squad, I'm fairly certain it's intentional. However, I do want to give a compliment here is that you and I, Jace, along with a, a few others who, who actually read m- most all of the DC titles, the one thing I'll give DC credit for here is that we can see the threads. There is connective tissue between Teen Titans, uh, Titan, Teen Titans Academy, Swamp Thing, Superman. I mean, those threads are there. Th- those little tiny threads, the Justice League, all those, they're there if you, those Easter eggs are there. They might be tenuous and, and less obvious in some issues, but but it's there. And, you know, I that's what I, as a longtime reader, I like getting those little rewards, that when when I can see the connections there, so even though even though I might I might laugh, oh, it's Amanda Waller again. I do like the fact that it. I, I do like that. I, it does kind of put a little smirk on my face uh, because you know it it does. Uh, it's sort of it's building the continuity of the DC universe, and I don't know. I uh, do you do you do you find that, or or do you find it more annoying than 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 tolerable? No, I mean, I, I agree with you. I mean, these crossovers make sense. Um, 
And and to be clear, it's not that I dislike the Suicide Squad. It's that I dislike Amanda Waller. So it's not, <laughs> you know, it, it's it, it's not that I and I and I should say I just I I guess in a way she's sort of she sort of has that same problem that Batman has had over the years, right? It's that power creep, you know, where Batman has become more and more powerful because each subsequent writer has to kind of top what's come before. It's kind of the same way with Amanda Waller. Like there's, you know, there's a line that she wouldn't have crossed based on her own morality. And that line has become more and more blurry or been pushed out further and further to the point where I just feel like she's an out and out villain these days. You know, the things she does, it's, she was always the epitome of the ends justifies the means, right? That's no longer the case. Like, I don't think anybody can objectively look at her and say the ends justify the means, you know? She's she's sadistic. She tortures people. She has people <laughs> killed. And it's all for the greater good. No, the, she has become a villain. Yeah, and she she's become so uh, two-dimensional and just, I think, not a good not a good representative character. You know, she already was sort of tropey in her in her origins, right? Big, angry, you know, black woman um, who, who grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just feel like, you know, as, as a character that's a person of color, we need to move beyond that. Um, and she has evolved, but I think she's evolved into something that's even worse than a stereotype <laughs> now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I'm excited for the Suicide Squad movie. You know, I understand DC is going to try to do this and get people to pick up the books. And, and you know, you got to do what you got to do to try to bring in comic readers. And these books are worth reading. I just – it's not that I want less Suicide Squad. I just want less uh, Amanda Waller. It, you know, every time she shows up on one of these books, I, it, it's, it, I'm just like, well, here's another chance for Amanda Waller to do something <laughs> despicable, you know. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> Not a big, yeah. not a big surprise, but anyway, let's move on to Crush and Lobo. And I, I think, I don't know if we mentioned it on, on the show or if it was just you and I talking and you, you had mentioned that, you know, you're really excited for the series. I thought it was a one shot, but no, it does. It, it, it turns out this is a, a limited series. It says right on the cover, one of eight. Um, and so it's written by Mariko Tamaki. The art is by Amon K. Nahalpin, color by Tamara Bonvillain. Letters by Ariana Mayer. Uh, and I'm, cur- I'm curious, Rocky. Um, I- I'm not even sure. Are you, uh, are you a Lobo fan? Because I-, I know you're a fan of, of Crush. So, yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I- I'm a huge L- Lobo fan. I'm, I'm a huge gotcha. Lobo fan. I-, I love Lobo. And I- I- I'm-, I'm a Crush fan as well out of Teen Titans. And I just want to say something, too, that's worth mentioning that I I can't believe more people aren't mentioning, and I wish people w- would make it more. I, I wish this was more on the spec. But, you know, there was a rumor based on uh, Harley Quinn's Black Book issue five that crushes the offspring of Lobo and Harley Quinn. That that Harley Quinn is, is Crush's mother. Like that was, that was I mean, cru- there was a very adult issue. Of, it was Harley Quinn, Black Book issue five. It was, it was definitely not for kids. There was there was sex clearly happened between Lobo and Harley, and oh okay, and then and then there was talk. Well, then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, that, is that? I mean, can any? If I told you that Crush was the offspring of Harley Quinn and Lobo, you'd believe it. I'd believe it. It to me, it's obvious. And and even if it's not obvious, DC should be should be creating that misdirection, even if it isn't. 
And uh, anyways, I have that in the background that in my mind, uh, and where, where am I going with this? I'm going, where I'm going with this is that I was really disappointed with this issue. I think Marika Tamaki, who's doing a fantastic job on Detective, and Marika Tamaki is, she's impressed me on Detective Comics, and I think she's, I, I know she's capable of writing a good story. I I have not enjoyed uh, her, any of her, I, I read her Harley Quinn Breaking Glass, her young adult, and I, I thought it was unreadable. I thought it was terrible. And unfortunately, she's taken that approach here. Uh, I think she's, I'm going to, I'm going to be very diplomatic. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> uh, it's a good thing I'm not drinking because I would be far less diplomatic, but I was just extremely disappointed with Crush's characterization here. I, Crush is, she's the daughter of Lobo, for God's sakes. She's got to be bored. She, she should be portrayed as crazy, nuts, more than just angry. But, but zany, she, she, she should not be written seriously. And she absolutely should not have a common, perfect girlfriend here on, on earth. Or it's just, just nuts. Like it, everything about this was wrong. Every, in my view, in my view, to be fair, it is obvious to me that Crush is no longer a character that I think is going to be, um, frankly, worth reading if this is how she's going to be written. I'm, if they keep her away from Earth and away from any attempt to make her, you know, exploring her, whatever her relationship, what that's so boring. That was the the most boring scenes in this narrative where she's talking with her perfect girlfriend. How did she acquire a girlfriend? What what's why would there's nothing about Crush that cries out normal? She's Lobo's daughter. Wh- whose idea was this to 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 make her normalize her that she's gonna go out randomly and just I mean again, <laughs> this is this has got it. She's she's Crush. She's Lobo's daughter. She should be uh, an absolute insane party crasher, screwed up. She shouldn't be somebody who's angsting and trying to find her path and her way and can doesn't want to be happy even though she's got a perfect girlfriend and oh she's going to miss her she's going to miss her girlfriend's birthday party she's going to be late this was ridiculous I I I'm sorry but this is not the crush that I'm interested in reading about at all I'm glad at the end she's going to go out and try to find her dad and Lobo and that'll be the keep her away from earth leave her in space uh, I was, I don't know, man. I, maybe I'm kind of being a little bit of a, like I said, I, I could say more, but I, let's just say that this, this, this is not my cup of tea. I, the art, I mean, the, look, artistically, this is great, you know, but I don't know. I, I, I personally, like even this cover, you know, the pride cover here is, is this the focus is the point of Lobo's daughter, so let's exemplify the fact that she's a lesbian and let's focus a story on the fact that she's a lesbian. This is Lobo's daughter. If you want to tell stories about young adults finding their sexuality, this is not the character to do it with. I'm sorry. This is ridiculous. I mean, can you? Sure. But this is Crush. Opening page here, this is Crush. But having... 
I don't know. I, this whole thing was just wrong-headed to me. This had Marika Tamaki tried to do a balancing act between, you know, having her be have a perfect girlfriend that, of course, she screws up that relationship and then she goes looking for her father. It's all fine. And it, it just didn't work for me. It took me right out of the story. I, uh, it, it just didn't work for me. Um, I don't know, Jace. I mean, do you? I know nothing about Crush. Uh, okay. This is the first. Yeah, this is the first book that I've read with her in it, so I can't well, say whether or not this characterization is because she. So, am I right in saying that she's an Adam Glass creation? Uh, yeah, yeah. I well, I don't know if Adam Glass created her, but he he was writing Teen Titans when she premiered, so I think that's probably accurate. It's probably accurate. Yeah, I and, and to be honest, I, I want to be clear. In fairness, there's there's. Ample room to disagree with me on this because I just figure that if ever there's a psychotic character that you should be building up her psychosis and having fun with her, it's Crush. I mean, she's a teenager and uh, she's likely there should Tamaki, if she was paying attention, should right away. She shouldn't just be who's her mother. She should be finding out. She should be curious as to who her mother is and then going looking for her dad. There should be hints that it's Harley Quinn. They're approaching everything they're they're doing with Crush is wrong. Everything. Uh, I mean, you can leave her sexuality. I don't care about that. But focusing on her on her on her teenage s- s- sex life. Good God! Talk about just. I I just think they're missing the point on this. But I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. This this is not obviously this isn't a a, a book for me. And what I I have a really hard time. I don't know. I I would prefer. I don't even want. If this is going to be crush, I would rather just have a Lobo story. To be very honest, and, and maybe just this is just. I don't know. I'm going to stop talking now. I. <laughs> what did you think when you read it? What did you think? Like, did you? Oh, you I was pleasantly. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah? I okay. I didn't. I didn't expect to to like it. Um, but I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I'm not a fan of Lobo and his crazy macho psychotic behavior I, I think it's tropey and frankly uninteresting um okay he's the last member of his alien species oh that's original oh he you know takes no prisoners and you know cusses and smokes cigars and gets drunk well that's original no there's nothing about it lobo to me that's original i don't find it humorous or enjoyable i mean what wh- i can take lobo in very small doses um especially if it's written by Frank Terry. I think Frank does bring a, a sense of like a farcical sense, a self-awareness to Lobo that he knows how ridiculous and over the top and kind of uh, just nonsensical that, that he is. Um, and so I sort of feel like, well, and, and again, I have read nothing of crush. So I don't know if the characterization of her here accurately reflects what's come before when he's been a member of Teen Titans or not. I have no idea because I have read none of that stuff. Um, (laughs) But to me, it would make sense that she hasn't spent any time with her father. She doesn't know who her, uh, her mother is. She's was raised in foster care and then became a Teen Titan. And she's facing, you know, super villains and world ending threats. It makes perfect sense to me that she wouldn't have an identity or really know who she is. So while I can see your point of if she's Lobo's daughter, she should act crazy like Lobo, I can also see the argument, well, 
she hasn't been around her dad in order for her dad to influence her that way. She does definitely seem to have some anger issues. Um, and so, yeah, I can, I can see her, you know, just in terms of let's forget the fact that she's half alien, half human, maybe depending on who her mother is and just focus on, you know, what she's, what she's been exposed to as she's growing up. Um, I could totally see her, trying to have a, 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 in your words, you know, a very normal girlfriend. And I think crush even says that here because she, I think she is trying to be normal. She is trying to fit in. And that seems like a very realistic thing for a, a teenage girl to do uh, for me. So I don't know. I, like I said, I, I enjoyed it um, I, I, enough to where I'm interested in, in where it's going. Obviously Lobo does show up here. Um, and you, you didn't mention that, you know, Lobo is trying to better himself. He's, he's in prison. He's going to therapy, which <laughs> seems like what? sort of the last thing you'd ever expect oh. Lobo to do. So, you know, how's that going to work? You know, and is it, you, you just sort of feel like Lobo's just biding his time and using it as, as, as an excuse to reach out to crush, to have her come and break him out of prison. Is, exactly. Is sort of how I read that, you know, telling, <laughs> telling the, the psychologist, the robotic therapist, what they want to hear so he can, you know, break out and whether or not Lobo and his daughter will come to an understanding or if his psychosis will rub off onto her and she'll be more kick butt crazy. Like you're hoping Rocky or will uh, yeah, he finally step up and be a father? Like, I don't know. There's, there's interesting things here. I, Crush has never been a character that I cared about before, but I, I thought Marika Tamaki did a great job. Uh, for exactly for readers like me who have no previous history with crush to give us something interesting to give us, you know, a little now, whether or not it matches up with what's come before, as I said, I, I have absolutely no idea. Oh, it but doesn't, will, it, it doesn't not match up, Jace. It, it does match up fine. Like, because they've never really dealt much with crush. I mean, crush had a, had a, had a crush herself, had a, some feelings for another teen Titans character. The, uh, the, the, the genie, uh, forget her name. She was a genie character. So her her sexuality has been established, and she's she's done it. You know, she's. I don't know. I just. I think. I guess my. I have a tendency, and it's. I guess this is on me. I'm just playing script doctor. I really think I. I could have. I could have. I. I could have scripted a better story. Uh, a far more interesting take on Crush. I really do. Yeah. I, I think they're missing the boat entirely on Crush, and I. I think that. Creating a mystery around her, both her, both her dad and her mother. I think they're missing a huge opportunity. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, I will say the the story. It was it was a little tropey, you know, with the birthday party and you know her girlfriend's friends and and you know the, their perfect parents and all that. So I get that, you know, very much, you know, eighties John Hughes movie. So I, you know, I could yeah. see, I could see that. But it's the first issue, so I, I don't know. I'll 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 wait. The jury's still out. I think the art's beautiful. The colors, especially, uh, I thought were done very, very well. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I mean, I, I, I really, I was like, really crushing Lobo. That's the last <laughs> thing I want to read about. Here's a character I know zero about, and a character that I really don't care to read about. Um, but it did, it, it pulled me in. It had me interested enough in Crush as a character that I went looking for a first appearance to see if I, if I had it. And I guess the, is there some, some disagreement on what her first appearance is, whether it's Teen Titans number 20 or if it's special uh, number one? 
if you're asking if there's a controversy between like a cameo versus first full appearance, I don't think there is. I think it is actually Teen Titans 20 or 21. I think it's one of those. Yeah. I, I yeah, actually have them right now. Yeah, I, just out of reach yeah. here. But, uh, yeah, I found uh, 20 and that, that said it was a first appearance. But then I also saw um, I saw Teen Titans special number one and somebody was saying that there were several issues of that oh, on man. eBay as well. That said first appearance. So, yeah, I mean, you're probably right. One's probably a cameo. I will say the Teen Titans 20 was much more expensive, so. That's probably yeah. the one that uh, people are, are considering the, the first appearance. So, well, I think I've anyway, got doubles of the one. Um, I'll just send it to you. Oh, how's that if I if I find the double? Because I'm I'm pretty sure I, I got doubles I, of it when it came yeah. out. I would I would not say no to that. But <laughs> anyway, let, I mean, this is this is a perfect example. Let us know. Like Rocky and I completely disagree on this one. Let us know what you guys think uh, in the comment section below, or reach out to us on social media. Very very curious what what people think of this. Uh, and again, I mean, I, I'm coming at it from the no Lobo. Uh, fan section and Rocky's coming at it from the Lobo fan section, yeah. uh, but I guess we'll see. Well, so uh, Lobo is in character here. Lobo is totally in character. Oh yeah, she nailed it. Oh, I mean, yeah. Lobo, Lobo could. Uh, I personally think Lobo could give a rat's ass. He's got a daughter, as if he doesn't have daughters scattered throughout the galaxy. I mean, come on, he's Lobo. Yeah, right. I mean, this, this guy is this guy has this guy has screwed every life for him in the in in, in the Milky Way. I mean, come on. I mean, he's, as if he's going to care. Of course, he's, he's. This is not the first offspring he's manipulated. But I'm sure they're going to change Lobo, maybe a little bit, just to. To, anyways, I'll stop talking about it. You know. Are you going to read the? Are, are you going to read the second issue? Oh yeah, I am. And by the way, I think this could be very entertaining because there was there was some humor in here, and I. I but it, it all centered around Lobo. I mean, as if as if anybody would tell Crush to go have a heart to heart with Lobo. Your father's Lobo. You're going to have a heart to heart with Lobo. Come on. I mean, <laughs> it's not, that's yeah. not going to happen. I mean, if it's going to happen, I'm, I want to see Marika Tamaki pull it off so it doesn't feel forced. I think that's going to be hard to pull off, but but we'll see. I mean, we'll yeah. see. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to happen. He's <laughs> She's going to show up there and he's going to be like, all right, get me out of here. Let's break <laughs> exactly. out. Exactly. So, yeah. All right. Well, on to Suicide Squad number four. Uh, Robbie Thompson handles the script. We have pencils from Eduardo Panseca on <laughs> – some of the pages and breakdowns on other of the pages, inks and finishes uh, for Joe Prado on some of the pages, Julio Ferreira on inks for the other pages. So definitely a, a collaboration between the three of them, Panseca, Prado, and uh, Ferreira. Uh, Marcelo Maiello handles the color, Wes Abbott on letters. And, you know, this is this is continuing the, the, the Red X uh, storyline. I, I would get, I guess we'd call it the conclusion of the uh, the Teen Titans Suicide Squad crossover, um, and and I quite I quite enjoyed it, despite the fact that Amanda Waller here is is at her Amanda Wallerist, which she's shocking Peacemaker when he disagrees. She's like, <laughs> you you're you're in charge out in the field, you know, back here, you know, when when we're uh, when we're in the within the walls of Bell Rev, you know, this is my world, so. Yeah. Uh, I think the word she uses, you know, you're, you're in charge on a mission and back when you're back here, you're just another inmate. Um, and, and, uh, Peacemaker's whole thing is well, you shouldn't have brought Red X back here. Um, you know, he's, a, he's a loose cannon. He's more powerful and, and more capable than you than realize. And we do see him chained up with about a thousand different chains. And he's like, I mentioned earlier, Amanda Waller's sadistic side. He's, he's basically being tortured by electric shock, but, he manages to break out. He, he he's exactly where he wants to be. He he's very Batman esque in this um, in this issue, right? Like 
if Batman g- gets captured nine times out of 10, it's because he wanted to get captured because that was his, the best way to infiltrate wherever. And that's sort of the same thing here. And we don't even know what Red X's powers are other than he appears to be a very capable fighter yeah. and seems to have some superhuman you know, strength and reflexes. He certainly breaks out of these these chains here, but then he's also able to infiltrate the computers and um, you know allows a bunch of inmates, and releases them, and, and it's a whole the whole wing of the prison where they're, they're rioting. And yep. so, yeah, pr- pretty yeah. interesting. And, and it's sort of limit. Like, you know, I've heard people say, well, yeah, red X could be Roy Harper, you know, arsenal. This guy seems way, way above that level to me. He does. Uh, yeah. Roy, Roy Harper doesn't have, you know, superhuman abilities or whatever. We do get a really cool peacemaker and, and red X fight. Um, and I do, and maybe the reason I enjoyed this issue is because Red X does get one over on Amanda Waller. Basically, you know, flips her the bird and says, "You can't hold me." It's clear that he allowed himself to get captured, and uh, yeah, so he 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 escapes, and uh, we also find out that somebody else escaped at the end, Rick Flag, and uh, it, it's great with Red X kind of mocking Amanda Waller at the end. Uh, you know, for the record, I didn't have anything to do with your other toy getting away. But don't worry, I'm sure he won't cause you any problems and leaves laughing. So, you know, it's a big F you to Amanda Waller. So, you know, I love it. I love Robbie Thompson that he he does that for me because he did it for me personally. He knows my dislike of Amanda Waller. Uh, That's how how it felt anyway. But uh, this is just one – this is one action-packed book. And the art is uh, is incredible despite the fact that Ferreira uh, inks over the pages that uh, Edward Panseca, you know – did in more detail as opposed to the layout pages that Joe Prado kind of finishes and inks. Uh, the art's very consistent throughout. I, I can't really, I mean, I'm sure if I went page by page because the page numbers are listed, I could find some differences, but in reading it, uh, I didn't, it didn't pull me out of the story at any point. I felt the art was very consistent. Uh, I love the colors. This is, uh, you know, the, oftentimes I'll talk about wanting traditional superhero books to have really bright colors um, because it, it sort of, immerses you in that world of the fantastic suicide squad to, in my mind, isn't, you know, a typical superhero book. You know, it's not, it's not Superman. It's not justice league. It should be a little darker. You know, this is a, a darker world and Amanda Waller certainly makes it that way. So Marcella Maiello, who I've given uh, colorist of the year before uh, as, as my personal choice does a great job with the colors and, and there's no surprise. One thing I do notice is Marcella Maiello, one of his trademarks that he'll do is he'll go to, to emphasize a particular panel. He'll go monochromatic or dichromatic, or he's only using one or two colors in a panel to really make it pop. He didn't do that anywhere in any of uh, any of these uh, pages, which is fine. You know, just because he's done it in the past doesn't mean he, he needs to do it here. And I thought the colors were spectacular. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed this issue. I thought it was great. Um, I, I have a hard time finding anything negative to say about it. Uh, not that I need to, but the only thing that kind of struck me, and it didn't strike me until after I finished reading it, there were, I think there were some scenes between Talon and Culebro that were supposed to be comic relief, and, and they were okay, but they weren't kind of the, the laugh out loud comedy moments that we've had from uh, Culebra in the past. Um, but that's a, that's a small little nitpick, you know, it just it didn't feel like there was any place in the story uh, to really give her um some great lines like she's had in the past from Robbie Thompson. And I'm sure that he put that interaction between Talon and Culebra in here for uh, comic relief. And it, it, and it was entertaining, you know, it was amusing, but it wasn't, I mean, she's had some real zingers before and I always look forward to those. Um, 
So, you know, I, I can't say that I, I wouldn't have enjoyed having a zinger or two here, but, uh, you know, it doesn't need to be every issue. And writing comedy is extremely hard. Uh, I've had a lot of uh, writers tell me that uh, in comics, superhero comics especially. So, uh, you know, again, my, minor nitpick, uh, this was great. Probably one of my favorite reads of of the uh, of the week. And, and honestly, uh, this is the probably the first issue that made me really start feeling invested in who Red X might be. Cause before I've just been like, you know, I, I'm, I've never seen the teen Titans cartoon. I'm not invested in who, you know, in Red X as a character, cause I don't know who he is and I, I have no attachment to him. Um, and it's just been kind of, honestly, I feel like in the pages of teen Titans, it's been a distraction. Like in teen Titans Academy, I want to get to the, the part of the story where we're learning about the relationships between the, the students at the Academy, you know, cause when you talk about a book, that's an Academy like morning glories, or Deadly Class, or you know, Umbrella Academy. That that's to me what the interesting part of the story is. These these well, young characters discovering who they are and, and building relationships and whatnot, as opposed to this distraction of the Red X character. Uh, but th- this one pulled me in. The, Robbie Thompson did a great job. Like, okay, okay now I'm, I'm starting to want to know who he is, what what his game plan is. So uh, if if that's what Robbie Thompson was going for, he he nailed it. So yeah, I thought this was a spectacular issue. Yeah, the the Red X uh, mystery is something that I'm I'm not particularly I'm not a big fan of it in in the pages of Teen Titans Academy, uh, but it is probably I think it's more appropriate for the Suicide Squad to be honest. It, it it Red X feels like he's a better fit, uh, intermingling and uh, commiserating with the Suicide Squad than in Teen Titans Academy. It just doesn't seem like a good fit over there, and it seems like an odd crossover between two Suicide Squad and Teen Titans Academy. This one obviously carries over from Teen Titans Academy. They were unsuccessful uh, uh, in kidnapping Bolt. And uh, uh, as a punishment, Red X, of course, uh, uh, was is, is Waller's chaining him up in this issue, as, as, as you talked about. What's fascinating about, uh, what's fascinating about well, Red one, X... And, one, and sec- I- one second, right? I just kind of to add to that. You, you wonder if... I mean, obviously, if you're going to bring Red X in, you've got to into the DC universe comic sphere, you've got to pull him into teen Titans. Cause that's, you know, he, you know, debuted on the teen Titans cartoon. Maybe this whole cro- crossover was because DC realized he's not a fit for Titans Academy. Let's cross it over with suicide. But maybe this is where yeah. his story will play out. Yeah, no, that that's, that's true. It's that that's, it's interesting. It, although like you said, the whole thing is a little bit off because a teen Titans, you would think that it would be in a different title other than teen Titans, than an actual an academy that deals with kids and everything else, it just seems like an odd fit. But but no, you're you're right. I fair enough. Um, in any event, the the mystery of Red X continues because what it's Red X seems to know a little bit about everybody. I mean, just to give a you know, Red X tells Talon that he is a, a friend, so he's a friend of the Talon. He tells Connor that I want all of you to be free, especially you. He says that to Connor. So what is, is, does, does Red X have a, why would he say that to Connor, especially you? So is, is, so obviously Connor must know Red X or is there like a special relationship between whoever Red X is and Connor? Uh, he tells Calubra that Waller is lying about keeping your mother safe. So he knows something about Calebro, Calebra. Uh, I think he did intentionally break out Rick, break out Rick Flag. I don't think I think he's lying when he said he didn't intentionally do it. I think he did that on purpose. Um, and he obviously let himself be captured by Waller. 
So he's extremely confident. Waller even admitted to the rest of the Suicide Squad that he's got Batman-level intellect, is what she said. So that would imply, does that mean he's a member of the Bat family or a former member of the Bat family? If Tim Drake, honestly, if Tim Drake hadn't shown up in the pages of Nightwing, I would I would be inclined to think maybe this is Tim Drake coming out of the woodwork, although that doesn't really fit in with what we know with him with, with Future State. Uh, I, th- I think while I originally thought he was Roy Harper, I, I like that theory, it's beginning to seem l- less and less likely Unless they're gonna, I've like, like you sort of alluded to. I've never, I've never saw Roy Harper as being particularly intelligent. I mean, with all due respect to Roy Harper, <laughs> yeah, I would never describe him as Batman level intellect. Um, but so, yeah, the the mystery continues here, and uh, yeah, and, and like I said, this is this continues to be entertaining as hell. Probably one of the the nicest surprises coming out. I got to tell you, coming out of Tom Taylor's and. Uh, fantastic nine issue or 10 issue suicide squad run himself for, uh, to come off the hill hills come off the uh come off the tail end of of tom taylor's successful suicide squad run and uh, and to to do to be this entertaining robbie thompson's done a pretty good job here and, and you said eduardo Penseca uh, as the artist he's done a fantastic job as well all right give me your give me your top three picks of who you think red x could be <laughs> oh man well i still gotta go i still gotta guess that one of them is probably it, it, i would have to say roy harper uh, i would still say even though it's looking less and less likely um the other red good lord i i honestly i'm, I'm racking my brain i, I i'm trying to uh I don't know because I mean I, I would I would be inclined to say Tim Drake except he showed up in Nightwing. I suppose it still could be Tim Drake, but why would he become Red X of all people? He's got a strange connection to the Titans or a, a past connection to the Titans. Uh, would it be maybe uh, Deathstroke's son? Maybe uh, what's his name? Um, Jericho. Jericho. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking outside the box here. I mean. Uh, like somebody yeah, isn't, Jericho, isn't Jericho mute though? Sure, uh, I I guess he was, but uh, yeah. mind you, he mind you in the in the pages of Deathstroke, he I think he he did overcome some some of that in the pages of Deathstroke, and yeah. you never know. I I just don't know in this new Omniverse. I mean, it it could be anybody. I don't know. Do do you, who's your candidate? Actually, I have so I have four in oh, order wow. of. Of m- most outrageous, most uh, unlikely, an alternate, an alternate reality or an alternate universe, Bruce Wayne. Like you want to talk about Batman level intellect? Maybe it is very sure. Batman thing to do. Um, and my, mine are all sort of Bat, bat family. <laughs> every one of them, um, sort of tied for second and third. I, I don't wouldn't put one over the, over the other. Well, I I guess I would put one. I would put one over the other. Uh, Hush would be number three. Thomas Elliot, okay. um, uh, although he, I don't know, the, Red X seems a little, maybe a little too young. Um, third, kind of in that same vein, would be Lincoln March. You know, that would definitely fit in with the whole calling talent a friend, right? Uh, and then my number one, kind of similar to my number four, would be more than anybody. It seems like Dick Grayson 
but Dick Grayson with a much harder edge. So it wouldn't be obviously our Dick Grayson; it would be Dick Grayson from an you know an alternate an alternate universe. And I I was trying to remember from Earth you know, Three. About, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. We were talking about Forever Evil earlier when we talked yeah. about um um a, a crime syndicate. And yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, well, maybe this is the Dick Grayson. Although in Forever Evil, he was the one that got his head cut off, right? If I remember right, that was the whole thing about why the uh, the Grayson Adrian of Spiral thing came out because Grayson was supposedly dead, and then they were going to do. In fact, James Tynan was just talking about it on social media the other day about the um, the other alternate Nightwing story that they maybe were going to do alternate Nightwing series, and then eventually they went with. Uh, Tom King and Tim Seeley's uh, Dick Grayson uh, or Grayson Asian of Spiral. So, so yeah, maybe this is Earth Three Dick Grayson. I mean, that's who he seems like to me more more than anybody. You know, he, he he's it's, he's very Dick Grayson. Other than the fact that he does seem to have superhuman abilities. So, I don't know. I, I am intrigued. So, kudos to Robbie Thompson for sucking me into uh, what I really didn't care the mystery that I hadn't cared about up till this point. So. <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yeah. Uh, and, and I fully, I fully expect it, in the interest of full disclosure, I fully expect DC to drag this out so long that I will stop caring and be like, Oh my God, would you just freaking get it over with already? Yeah. <laughs> two exactly. years, probably I, I, it's going to take him two years to tell us most likely. Uh, all right. Well, on to Batman one Oh nine, the cowardly lot part four, James Tynan, the fourth is the writer, Jorge Jimenez on art to me, on colors and Clayton Cowell on letters. And then we have the backup ghost story, uh, which is also written by Tynan with Ricardo Lopez Ortiz on art, Tameo More on colors, and Clayton Cowell on letters. Uh, what do you think of this one, Rock? Um, just get my notes here. Um, oh man, this was. Um, I, I again, I, I continue to be, uh, I continue to be impressed. Uh, James Tynan, just. I love the art. I love the writing. Uh, this here has um, th there's 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 a lot that happens in this issue. There is a lot that happens in this issue. There's a there's a I think a, a great conversation between Harley Quinn and Ghostmaker. I think that there is a uh, there, there's a great conversation between uh, Batman recalls a conversation he has with Miracle Molly. Where she asks him, uh, last issue, how much stronger would you be if you could let go of your past? And could that Batman save Gotham? And Batman ultimately confronts Simon Saint in this issue uh, because he, uh, in, in his conversations with Oracle, he's slowly putting together the fact that this, this fear toxin, that the scarecrow, without even having to use a fear toxin, the scarecrow is utilizing just basically PR and, and is increasing the fear of people and is utilizing the insanity collective which we now know to be uh they're not they're not really bad people the insanity collective at least under miracle molly uh they they generally have they got a good cause and they're they're not they're not really criminals they're more like civilly disobedient and they've got a good purpose in mind but it it becomes quite clear that simon saint is the one that's trying to uh stoke the fears trying to stoke the fears of Gotham and and blame ultimately lay the blame at the feet of the insanity collective and by doing so 
increasing the fears, creating the idea of civil unrest in order to justify Mayor Nagano agreeing and authorizing the peace, the peacekeeper program. And Peacekeeper One in this issue ultimately ends up attacking Batman when Batman confronts Simon Saint, demanding to know where the Scarecrow is. And Batman is ultimately uh, temporarily incapacitated by Peacekeeper One. And ultimately, at the end, there's a there's a hint that there's a confrontation between Batman and Peacekeeper One, which were which will continue on to the next issue. A lot. You know, and and I haven't even talked about there's a, we, we got, we were introduced last issue to uh, Bella Gardner, who is Poison Ivy's um, college girlfriend <laughs> or former lover of Poison Ivy. She's looking, uh, she knows where Poison Ivy is. She confronts Harley Quinn and Ghostmaker and lets, lets them know where, uh, where Ivy is. And Ivy is apparently, of course, she's, uh, She's being, uh, well, I guess she's, she's got, we know that Ivy has a sort of a dual personality right now. And she's, I don't know if it's a flaw from the heroes in, in, in crisis, or she's got a dual personality, a split personality. She's got her poison side and she's got Ivy, Ivy without the poison. And she's, she's creating tree roots that go, that are embedded all over Gotham such that if they rescue, they got to be careful, apparently Bella warns that if you rescue Ivy, she's basically tied, her roots are tied into the cave systems under Gotham, that if those cave those cave systems could collapse if you're not careful in how you rescue Ivy. And Bella gives Harley the heads up that when I give you the go-ahead, I'll let you know where Harley is. Or I'll, I'll let you know where Poison Ivy is. And then, you know, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. So everything here is set up, but it's, it's enjoy, like, this is all building. I, I enjoy I enjoy this narrative. All these little plot threads are coming together. And it's leading into what I know is going to be future state. And I love that Tinian is not messing around. We're, he's getting to the point. This, this plot line is moving. This isn't taking forever. I know some people... I've, I know some other people who are reviewing this thinking this, this plot, this story is taken forever to tell. It's not taken forever to tell. It, it feels like it's moving to me. It feels like it's moving forward. I... Uh, we're, we're getting new characters. We're getting good characterization. I'm enjoying this and maybe I'm an outlier, but I, I think this is well worth the, uh, it's, it's well worth it. I have, like I said, I, um, I, and I love the art. The art's fantastic. Jace, I don't know, man. Are you, uh, are, are you still enjoying this? Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of the same in the same place that I've been for the past couple issues, um, you know, I'm sounding like a broken record here. I, I feel like what we know of Future State has removed some of the the momentum of the story. Um, you know, Simon Saint were a mystery. If we didn't know what the magistrate was, it would be more interesting to me. So as we continue heading toward that possible future, that's not something that I enjoyed. Um, I'm frankly sick of the whole idea of fascist as a, a villain group. So magistrate is completely d- uninteresting to me so knowing where the story is headed kind of removes some of the joy of reading it for me um that being said it, it is well done i mean there's great character work here you know what we learn of bella gardner is interesting the scene between ghostmaker and harley quinn in 
Ghostmaker's hideout, which he calls the Haunt, is is inspired. It's it's absolutely spectacular. Awesome. Um, the fact that he has a dinosaur that's bigger than a T Rex because you know he's got a one up <laughs> Batman. Uh, the car that he has um, that Carly uh, that Harley just loves his Ghost Racer. And he's like, oh, no, no, the, bat- the Batmobile is better than the Ghost Racer. So I'm trashing this one. It's going to the industrial furnace. And you can <laughs> tell Harley's thinking, well, you could just give it to me, right? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, that, that scene was just a whole lot of fun. Um, and you're right. The art by Jorge Jimenez does, does continue to be really inspired. Um, despite, you know, what we talked about with the Suicide Squad and the connective tissue, this is one story where things aren't matching up 100%. Uh, maybe Bella is not aware because I'm just not sure where this fits in with, with what's been going on in the pages of Catwoman. We know Harley's already been been rescued from um, the, ma- the magistrate. So, you know, how that plays in with what information comes here from Bella Gardner, not not exactly sure. Maybe it doesn't line up 100 percent. So um, I would say the most disappointing thing about the series recently in, in the last couple issues since Tynan's been taking us down this path toward the magistrate is – I feel like we get less bat. We've gotten less Batman, or, or we get very little Batman in the last couple of issues. We're getting a lot of Harley and a lot of Ghostmaker, and and not as much Batman, despite the fact that this is you know his book. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I I guess we we did get quite a bit of him and his Matches Malone um, uh, persona last issue when he was uh, talking with the. Um, the unsane society or, or what have you. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's okay. Again, the, the magistrate storyline. And I mean, it's just so obvious uh, if mayor Nakano has got a brain in his head, you can see it coming a mile away. The fact that he's agreed to this magistrate program, like it just, I just feel like any sane person, anybody who could add two plus two would figure out that the Simon Saint guy is not on the, on the up and up, you know? Uh, it's so it's, it's a little, it's a little far-fetched in my mind. Um, and uh, the backup story, I don't really have a lot to say. Um, it, much like a lot of the backup stories that we've had, um, it's it's basically just the, uh, the origin of, of Brainstorm, you know? So, uh, you know, it, it's fine. Sort of like, uh, the, I feel like the, the best of the this Ghostmaker backup is were the early ones when it was focused on Ghostmaker. The last couple of iter- uh, iterations of the story have just been, okay, let's get the origin of this villain let's get the origin of this villain let's get the origins which is i guess necessary um but i I just i don't really care who brainstorm is to be be honest with you um it's a ghostmaker story i want to read about ghostmaker uh but it it, but it's fine i mean it's batman it's still you know tying in it's technically a good comic you know in terms of pacing and art and scripting and transitions from panel to panel for the narrative or for the visual storytelling i i have no complaints about it technically um so you know it's just my my personal taste it's you know it's just okay because we are headed toward that magistrate story like like honestly i'll just be happy when we've put this whole future state era behind us to the point where we know we're not getting any of those features that happen in future state and we're no longer telling stories that hint toward that future just be completely done with it and i'll be much happier so, uh, anything to add about the backup, Rocky? Uh, no, I just, uh, I will say that, uh, you know, it's building up at Ghostmaker's Rogues Gallery, 
And it's, it's, I think that Tinian is uh, taking advantage of this opportunity to try to create a, a Batman with a, a slight, uh, frankly, a good humored, a little, a little bit more of a, more of a, almost like a sarcastic Batman, a little bit more of a cocky, sarcastic, slightly more little lighthearted and fun Batman. And that's Ghostmaker. And it, it is a little tropey. But frankly, I, I kind of think the DC universe benefits from it a little bit, I, and I and I I still think Ghostmaker's a good character. I think it's it's inevitable he's going to get his own comic one day, and it's I, I think that uh, I think this is a good way to build up his own rogues gallery, and I I still think that as as crazy as his rogues gallery are, I, I think it's kind of they're all kind of crazy characters in their own right, uh, but I think that they're reasonably well developed, and and. And I think, you know, it's like Tinian said in one of his newsletters, he said, you know, he's, he's, he's not overthinking. He's, he's not reinventing the wheel. He's not overthinking things. He's keeping things simple. And it might seem simple on the surface, maybe a little bit oversimplified and maybe a little over tropey with how he's treating Ghostmaker, but he's having fun with it. And I think it's working. And I think in the long run, um, Ghostmaker is a character that I, I, there's so much potential for Ghostmaker. So much potential, and I think he's such a great character. And yeah, I again, if if I think Batman is a comic book that should be on everybody's uh, must buy list. I I I'm really I'm loving Batman under Tinian. I'm really really enjoying what he's doing, what he's bringing to the table. I love the fact that uh, see some people complain that you know. Well, what about the Joker? And what about all the, the the normal rogues gallery? Where are they? I don't care. He's he's creating his own characters. He's this Batman feels new and fresh. And people are so some people are focused on, oh well, we've seen this magistrate thing before. We've seen Gotham in trouble before. Actually, no, we we haven't seen it like this. We haven't seen I'm talking about the characterization. Of course, we're always gonna see Gotham in trouble. I mean, what do you what do you expect? It's it's Batman, it's in Gotham. Yeah, but Gotham's always in trouble. What we don't see all the time is this type of characterization, this type of unique. What well, he he's bringing something in my view that's unique to the the Batman mythos. He's he's this feels fun. This feels like it's going somewhere. He's it feels like he has a plan, and I don't know. In my view, that I think the pieces do fit. I do think, by the way, that I do think that before Harley rescues Poison Ivy, I I think I think it'll be established that Selena beat her to it. So I think at the end, all these moving par parts and all these titles, I do think that there's a narrative tissue there that, that connects it all. And I don't know. I'm just, I'm enjoying the DC universe now than I have in, in a decade, uh, straight up. I have to go back to early rebirth to be quite honest that since, since I've enjoyed all, all this many titles all at once, because usually I, I, I don't know. I'm, and I'm not even drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's the thing. Uh, Titan has gone on record as saying, you know, because there is sort of this sentiment, and you'll hear some um, some certain creators say it in social media. Don't don't create characters that you don't own, um, you know, because you're not going to reap any benefits. And Tiny has been on, come on record as saying, "No, I'm going to create new characters, a ton of new characters for Batman because it's exciting and, it, and it, it brings fans in. So it's worked out for him, right? It's led to you know more success and more visibility for some of his other titles. So it's worked really well. Um, I do agree with you. Ghostmaker has 
a lot of potential. I think way more than Punchline, more than Clown Hunter. Um, I, this Miracle Molly character that most recently debuted may have, I think may in the long run be a more interesting and nuanced character or has potential to be than Ghostmaker. But I think Ghostmaker's appeal is much more broad. So I could see Ghostmaker, and I know this is a, a huge stretch to say at this point, but I could see Ghostmaker reaching like Deadpool level, uh, eventually Deadpool level uh, popularity because he, he's got a lot of that fun, like you were talking about, that sort of fun, lightheartedness to him. So uh, I guess I guess we'll wait and see. I mean, to me, he's leaps and bounds better than Clown Hunter or Punchline. So uh, very interesting. I mean, the one thing that I, I complained about when he first showed up was the fact that he's retconned in, you know, and it's like, really? Would we really have had 40 years of Batman story or 40 years of history with, and he was that tied into Bruce's origin and we've never heard about him before? That makes no sense. Of course, we would have heard about him before, but, you know, you could say the same thing about the Court of Owls. How could they have operated in Gotham all this time and the world's greatest detective didn't find out? It's, it's, it's inherent when writers go back and insert things into a character's origin. Um, it just doesn't make sense. You got to take it with a grain of salt. So, uh, anyway, on to Batman Fortnite zero point. Uh, we are on what the fourth issue. Uh, so this is from a story by Donald Mustard. It's written by Christos Gage. Art is by Christian Ducey. Colors by John Kalish. Letters by Anne World Design. Um, this this is interesting. So. Batman has, has found his way out of the world of, uh, of Fortnite. He's on a different island now where he can actually talk. He meets up with a bunch of other characters who've managed to escape. Now they can all talk, but their memories haven't returned. Batman sort of shows his leadership skills here, despite the fact that you know nobody knows who anybody is. Everybody just senses that he's kind of the smartest guy in the room, right? And that he has these natural <laughs> leadership capabilities. And before we know it, he's bossing everybody around. Very, uh, very Batman-esque. And so I feel like more than any other issue we've gotten of the series up to this point, this one moves the narrative forward the most. Um, they make some discoveries about people who may be moving in and out of this world, opening portals, sending them to that other world uh, that we know is, is, you know, the Fortnite battleground. Um, but what happens next? Who are these actual people? That it's you know remains to be seen, and at the end, it's revealed that one of the people on this island is obviously working for them. Uh, is is a spy? So uh, this continues to be a really interesting story. Just like I've said before, uh, if if you're a Fortnite player, you're probably getting more out of this than than me, who's never played Fortnite in my life. But I feel like that is less so with this issue now that it's moved off the actual Fortnite Island. Cause now we're just in story. We're just, you know, we're not over in that Island. We're not dealing with the, uh, you know, the swirling vortex, the, the, the actual battleground last man standing sort of thing. Um, so where it goes from here, I no idea. Uh, but I thought the art by Christian Ducey was, was fantastic. Great line work, beautiful colors. Uh, so yeah, continues to be a lot of fun. Um, continues to sell pretty well with those codes for, uh, getting things in the game. Um, so yeah, I, I'm enjoying it. Um, I don't know. What do you, what do you think Rocky? Yeah, I, I, this was a lot of fun. I I've never played Fortnite before. I've, I've always been sort of curious. I've seen the, I've seen occasionally, uh, in the toy aisle, I'll see these action figures that say Fortnite on them. And 
and they, they look like interesting characters and I, I don't recognize, you know, I, I recognize them as Fortnite characters, but I know nothing about them. I'm actually, I have to admit, uh, there's actually some characterization of these characters of Fortnite and I'll, to be quite blunt, I still really don't know. I don't have, I haven't put to memory any of these Fortnite characters names to be very blunt, but I am in, they're interesting. Some of them are kind of cocky. Some of them are seem, uh, interesting enough and I'd be, I'd, I'd be actually curious to get to know them a little bit more if this series, you know, I don't think that that'll happen because this is a very Batman centric, as you said, they all look to Batman for leadership. Uh, but some of them resent it. There's at least one Fortnite character that, you know, sort of expresses, you know, why are we listening to this guy? And, and, uh, I'm not sure which character it is, but it's, it's interesting that they're all working together. I, I think that if, if this series had more room to blossom as a story, I suspect that, you know, there'd probably be more conflict and that I, I suspect some of these Fortnite characters wouldn't just blindly sit back and let this Batman character lead them. Uh, but, but it's, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, and I can only imagine that if you're a, a Batman fan and, and you play Fortnite, I imagine this being, I imagine you'd have a lot of fun watching the, or reading this because it is, it is fun. And Batman, I got to say, Crystal's Cage here as a writer, the way that they piece it all together, the way Batman and the Fortnite characters work together to actually figure out how to get off the island, this is actually kind of a good amount of detective work here. This was not, you know, Normally, I would be I would forgive this story if it was just one dimensional. But there's actually a lot of forethought that went into the thinking that Batman did when they pieced this all together. I was actually kind of impressed with it, you know. And there and and even some hilarious moments between like I don't even know. It looks like a talking fish and a I don't know who the characters are, but there's actually some humor in this issue that I openly laughed at. Uh, you know, and the, the one scene, uh, the one fish character says. Uh, 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 the one guy, the guy, <laughs> the one guy makes the comment that, you know, these, we're obviously all from different locations. Some of us could have come from the same place, but based on the technology and biology, some clearly, uh, did not. And, uh, of course the fish character says, uh, no offense, but you're obviously not the world's greatest detective or anything. <laughs> I mean, it was, uh, I thought it was, it was, it, it, it was actually, it was comical. It was, it was, uh. Because it is kind of a ridiculous, fantastical setting with these characters from different, you know, different worlds all battling each other. So obviously some look very, very different. And um, uh, yeah, I, I had fun with this. This is a good read. And, you know, I, like I said, I... It is what it is. It's it's a it's a good story, and I'm glad to see it's heating up the spec market. It continues to sell extremely well. I know my retailer is very happy. He can't keep them in stock, and he's got all he got rid of all his second printings, and I think he even got the third. I think the third one for the first issues coming along uh, is going to be getting that in a bit. And so yeah, it's a hey man. Anything that brings more, if we can get e even a small percentage of the video game crowd picking up comic books in retail shops, that'll be fantastic. Yeah, I actually love the line where Batman says uh, to the the fish stick is what he calls himself. Yeah. You can breathe underwater, and fish stick says again, not exactly a genius, are you? Of course I can. <laughs> Look at me, I'm a damn fish, you know. Like, yeah, it's absolutely hilarious. So, uh, all right, well, moving on to Green Lantern number three. Uh, yeah, number three, uh, written by Jeffrey Thorne. We have uh, first half of the issue art is by Tom Rainey. Second half is by Marco Santucci. Michael Atia on colors, Rob Lee on letters. Um, 
and I did I did mention right at the top that that this was a pleasant surprise for me. Um, best issue of Green Lantern that uh, Jeffrey Thorne's done so far. Uh, but what do you think, Rocky? Ah, uh, wow. Um, yeah, I. The art was a little. Uh, I I had to adjust a little bit to the art at first. Uh, Tom Rainey's art's a little bit of an adjustment for me, but uh, you know what? The art grew on me, and frankly, the story here. Uh, I was impressed by the story. I I was a little thrown off initially with the story because it, it starts off in what the reader will discover that that it's actually taken place in his mind that that it's that he's actually there's a chemopath or a slash a telepath character uh, by the name of Sakari is that is actually sort of uh telepathically trying to c- communicate with John Stewart and 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 then there's sort of a it's through the telepathy that this telepath is trying to help John Stewart and she's trying to figure out what happened to him and and then we and that's when we actually continue off from the previous issue. And the previous issue, like issue two, was a game changer. It it established that John, you know, Oa was essentially destroyed. And and not only was Oa destroyed, but it was destroyed just as John Stewart and a thousand Green Lanterns are essentially uh sent off to the ghost sector, or pardon me, not the ghost sector, but this new dark sector. Where they have to, uh, uh, where they got they got to patrol it. They have to patrol this new dark sector. But so, and when they get to the dark sector, we get um, we get John Stewart. There, they the dark sector has a a strange effect on Green Lantern rings. Green Lantern energy, the Lantern energy doesn't interact well with the dark sector. With the dark sector, there's something about it, and for that reason. The what they would normally do, Green Lanterns, is that they created their ship. Their ship is a, is actually a giant construct of of all their energies. But the, in order to create a headquarters, they need they need to use actual organic materials, matter, not not energy from their rings. And they're doing that just to be safe because of the the effect that this dark sector has on their on their rings on their ring energy. And so while they're doing that, they 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 create a new headquarters. Uh, basically, based on on those types of uh, on basically those types of materials, and they call it, I guess, the the lighthouse. And once they build that, John Stewart sends them all off on to patrol the dark sector, and they all have missions as you know, do your best. Remember, we're diplomats. If you get in trouble, you know, just you know, contact uh, contact you know your fellow lanterns, and we'll you know to call for help, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately for John Stewart, he goes out and for some reason while he's out on patrol with this <laughs> with this <laughs> uh mushroom like green lantern. I don't even know what the mushroom's character's name is, but he his ring conks out on him and he and well, this- that's when the that's when the battery back on Oa exploded. Uh is that is uh, and is that is and is that what happened? It could just, is that I'm why? Assume, yeah, yeah. I, I'm assuming that's you know we saw that at the end of the first. Oh, issue. and it, and it, and that led to the and so all the rings, all the rings elsewhere, everywhere in the galaxy were destroyed. Yeah, yeah. Basically, 
um, which is, you know, what we saw in Future State, right? Like, there were no Green Lanterns. Oh, okay. All, I, I guess yeah. that makes... Well, the rings didn't work, but his ring's not destroyed. It just, I guess, loses its energy. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, but the other, thing that's, the other thing that's not clear to me is, so when did Jon Stewart go back to wearing a regular ring? Because if you remember in Scott Snyder's Justice League, it was... He didn't have a real ring. It was a tattoo. So that's not clear either, but... Yeah. Whatever. DC okay. editorial at its finest. Well, uh, well, I, I suppose in fairness, I, I, I could have been more on the ball. You figured that out. I, I, I think in hindsight, I, I'm, I, I feel somewhat foolish. I should have, I, I should have maybe made that connection there. Uh, you know, but yeah, that makes complete sense that it probably took a while. It's sort of like sh it took a while for the energy to, to, to disconnect between the destruction of Oa and the rings. Uh, it's interesting that, but it, see, see, yeah, I, it wasn't clear in the art because I thought just John Stewart's ring. Because I was wondering what happened to the mushroom Green Lantern or that other lantern. I, I thought that he just disappeared. Did he die? But I guess he 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 created a, a fungus cocoon around John Stewart that saved John Stewart's life. But yep. I guess I guess he must have died then. I but he he I, died saving John Stewart's life. I guess. Yeah. I that I don't don't know couldn't say yeah I mean it's 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 unclear because it's like is he still alive he is, is he dead floating in space but in any event it he's rescued by uh salvage drones from this planet and I, I never did get the name of the planet uh salvage drones from this planet rescue uh rescue John Stewart when he when he while he's in this fungus cocoon and he's revived by the Sakari character and he ends up being on this planet for, uh, you know, she sort of revives him telepathically because and he's got all these images of his dead wife. And eventually he, you know, she's she, her hair. It's uh, I'm going to give writer uh, Jeffrey Thorne some some props here. This character, Sakari, her her hair follicles, her hair is actually what helps her connect telepathically into the brain to brain with with other with other species and she actually connects through John Stewart's spine and it's it's interesting there so she's so, some creativity going in there and I think that was kind of cool and he doesn't have his his ring doesn't work but so he's on this planet for like 145 days he he the Sakari character has a daughter named Ilo and eventually this planet is attacked by Quinari space pirates and John Stewart recognizes Quinari Space Pirates because apparently he's fought them before as a Green Lantern. He confronts them only to be uh, handily, uh, quite easily defeated, almost embarrassingly defeated. And, uh, and then I guess that presumably at some point they'll, they'll take his ring. Now, I remember when you and I and uh, Trevor, when we reviewed uh, Future State Green Lantern, Ultimately, this these Quinari pirates were part of the were, were part of the army that they battled against, and so this is probably clearly building toward that. Um, I think. Meanwhile, I'm more interested in what's happening back on Oa. Uh, frankly, with uh, Sojourner Mulane, the, the the new Mulane, the new Green Lantern, she's basically in 
no one else is in control of Oa. The, the, the guardians don't seem to be there. She's the only one at uh, Oa. She sends out a distress call warning all Green Lanterns elsewhere that, you know, she's her ring still is still working. But but basically telling him, don't come to Oa. Stay away. Um, and and if you do, it, it might be whoever did this might is expecting that most Green Lanterns were wiped out. Stay away to be safe. And she's give she's warning all everyone. And what I find interesting is Hal Jordan ends up getting that that message. And to your point, uh, Jace, about you know, are all the rings destroyed of all the lanterns? I got the impression that uh, Hal Jordan's ring still functions. Is that because? But Hal Jordan created his own ring, right? Didn't he create? He created his own ring out of his own willpower. Is that why his ring? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm assuming, but then again, it's like they're picking and choosing what they keep because John Stewart no longer has the tattoo ring. He has a real ring that shorts out. But Hal Jordan, yeah, maybe. Um, Don't know. Maybe that'll be explored. It it certainly is a possible explanation. Yeah, and it must be that I'm not even sure. While why does Joe Mullane's ring? No. Well, she says in the she says in the story that she thinks it's because she was sent to that far sector that her ring w- was different. Yeah, and and correct me if I'm wrong. It's been I'm I haven't read an issue of Far Sector I think since like issue four. I'm yeah. still buying them all. I just haven't read it. Yeah, but wasn't her ring? Didn't it have like a finite? It wasn't like she had to charge it every twenty four hours like the others. It just it had this finite like they charged it up this huge amount and it had a finite amount of power. Does that sound familiar? Yeah, it could. I be. mean, she I does know. mention in the story. E- either way, she does mention in the story it is made differently than the other Green Lantern rings. We're assuming that's why it didn't yeah. actually have a connection to the battery. And obviously, uh, Teen Lantern has the gauntlet, which is you know is not. It's been established it's not Chrono's gauntlet, but it is different and draws its energy from a different. Yeah. And, and resource and, as well, and it can also power a ring. The the Teen Lantern's yep. Gauntlet can actually power up a Green Lantern power ring, but that's not discovered yet until Future State, where she actually in Future State she actually helped Mogo the plant the entire planet sized Green Lantern Mogo survive through the through her Gauntlet as well. So, and Simon Baz here is doesn't have a ring, but he's got a metal arm, and he's got a metal arm and a weapon. So they're Jeffrey Thorne here is being very creative. I think he's being very creative with what he's doing with the characters. I, I like that. Even though O has been destroyed before, and that's kind of a trope that's been done before, I actually am more interested in Jeffrey Thorne's approach here than I have been in the past when Owen's been, o, o has been destroyed. I actually kind of like this. I'm curious. And, um, yeah, like I, like I say, I'm, I, I'm impressed, you know, I'm impressed. And I really like, I like how it ends with, with, with Hal Jordan. Cause it's, you know, for, for a guy that said he hates Hal Jordan and everyone is getting on his ass. I think he's given some Hal Jordan, some good props here. Cause Hal Jordan is, is given some status in the final image here of him, of Hal Jordan, just there hearing the distress call. I mean, could it ha- could it be that Hal Jordan might get some Jeffrey Thorne love? Wow. <laughs> I, yeah, I thought the same thing when I saw that. I was like, wait, is that Hal Jordan? <laughs> yeah. Is he going to be the one that saves the day? That would be almost like Jeffrey Thorne flipping the bird to, you know, all the guys who called him out for saying he. And you know what? 
he kind of brought it on himself. He went out there saying Hal Jordan was the worst comic character ever created kind of thing and whatever, you know, fan opinion versus writer opinion is what he said. Uh, but yeah, maybe this is his way of saying, no, I really will give Hal his fair shake. So it'll be interesting. Uh, I do agree with you on the, on the Tom Rainey art. It pulls me out of the story at times. He's just so inconsistent with his proportions, especially in terms of the size of the head as compared to the size of the body, the size uh, of the, the features on the faces. Um, he's just not consistent from one, from one panel to the next. I mean, sometimes John Stewart looks like a pygmy and other times his art looks great. So I just wish there was more consistency. Um, and when John's in his dream world, um, he supposedly sees his, his old ex-girlfriend, classic Green Lantern, Kat Matu, who he was married to. And it looks nothing like her, like nothing like I've ever seen her look before. So that, you know, that's, that's problematic. She needs to be recognizable as, as who she is. Um, so again, I just, I hope Rainey continues to refine his art because there are panels where the the art is, is really great. Uh, and there are other times where it's, it's not so much. So, uh, and I think, I think the planet, I think, um, it's called Sergalon or Sergalon, uh, is what Sakari says. Um, welcome, welcome to, yeah. Yeah, welcome to Sergalon, and and Elo comes flying up on her little Mister Miracle flight disc thing. He's awake, he's awake. So that that was entertaining. Elo was a very energetic character that brought a lot to the story, um, and and John a little overconfident at the end there, um, sort of confronting these Kenuri, you know, saying, "Oh, they're they're going to see me and they'll run because uh, you know they'll, I'll just tell them I'm I'm a Green Lantern. They're going to recognize me." Uh, and they're just going to take my word that I have power. And of course they don't. And they basically shock the crap out of John. So it's kind of what you would expect to see um, rather than John, you know, beating thousands of coons like we saw in, in future state. Uh, so I guess that, that remains to be seen. Um, I, I do, I do wonder where the other lanterns in the dark sector are. Obviously, I guess they're having their own struggles. So how they're all going to get back together and regroup is, is going to be interesting um, as is Joe, Joe Mullins uh, quest, right? Like she, she basically says no lantern left behind. She puts it out in hyperspace. Hey, we're going to, you know, retrieve every lantern. And even when some of the other members of the United planets council tell her, well, that's not really realistic. We're, we're projecting. We'll get back like 30%. She's like, do the best you can. And I'll, I'll personally go out and get the rest. We're bringing back 100% of, uh, of these people. So, um, I don't know how realistic that is. I'm kind of with the counselors on, on this, uh, but obviously she's passionate. She believes everyone should be saved. And I agree, but yeah, how that's going to happen, how it's going to go down uh, remains to be seen. So this is intriguing. Um, you know, Jeffrey Thorne has, has pulled me in. This feels big. This feels epic. Uh, I certainly hope that we do get a resolution long before we get to the future state actual time frame because um, I really would like to see this giant story be resolved in I don't know 10 or 12 issues um, and and let's tell something different where there's not this um, there's just not this dystopian apocalyptic feel for the Green Lanterns because it's been so long since I feel like we've had classic a classic Green Lantern book you know where 
it's it's Hal or it's John or Simon Baz or, or Jessica Cruz or, or whoever it is who are out there fighting classic villains. Like, when was the last time that you saw um, some of these classic Green Lantern villains show up, you know, like a, a Hector Hammond or um, – I, I can't even think of any any others right now. Is it yeah. black? Who's the black? Is it Black Hand? Is that yeah? The Black Hand and yeah, Black Hand and yeah, or even Atrocitus yeah. and and even Mongol actually. Well, but he's in Superman now. But yeah, uh, yeah. Just I mean, we went. We that was sort of the field of the Robert Venditti book, you know. Although a lot of that was Yellow Lantern versus Green Lantern, um, but then we had the crazy out there. Uh, Grant Morrison series with spectacular by, by Liam Sharp. And now we go to this where there aren't even any green, green lanterns except for, you know, three, I guess, if you count how Jordan, Joe Mullen and, and teen lantern. So it's like, uh, I'm, I'm ready. You know, I'm ready to get back to more of a classic feel of green lantern. And you would think with the green lantern uh, cartoon coming up that they would want to get back to that as well. Although I guess it's still early days. So, yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, I, I enjoyed this more. That they're set up here, and there's a lot of possibility here. But much like you, Rocky, I'm, I'm very much more interested in kind of what's going on in o- an Oa than I am with the unpowered lanterns out in space. Um, the uh, the Jeffrey Thorne, uh, you know, mar- I guess you'd call it Marines in space, right? I mean, that's the whole thing. John Stewart's a Marine, and that training, and what have you, even without powers, like we saw in Future State, he's this you know, one of the most powerful warriors in the galaxy, which <laughs> I'm sorry, I just don't buy that. I, I just don't. Um, and, and we talked about it extensively when we covered future state with him fighting a, you know, warlike race who's been around for centuries and somehow he beats them. No, that, 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 that doesn't make any sense. So, uh, but this was good. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, all right. Well, on to the last book, it's the nice house on the lake. Number one from writer, James Tynan. Alvera Martinez Bueno handles the art and colors. Jordi Belair, or I'm sorry, the art and cover. Jordi Belair handles the colors and world design does the letters. Um, this was a lot of fun and very different and, and sort of out there. Um, and just to sum it up really quickly, basically there's some guy, some being, I, I, I guess I'll say alien because it refers to uh, this place as, as their, their planet and basically, he knows that his – I think he calls them his people. Yeah. He his knows name is his, Walter. His name is Walter. Yeah, his name is Walter. And he, and he says um, that – so basically, he invites 15 people to this nice house on the lake. Um, and, you know, he, he, he picked them all. Only 12 of the 15 show up. And the first night they're there, um, basically, the world starts coming to an end. Uh, like there's firestorms in the sky, people are dying. It's all happening on, you know, live stream on TV or texted on, uh, or you know, showed up on social media or or whatever. Uh, he says the seven billion people out there are dead, or they will be dead shortly. Um, and he chose. He he brought these. He he tried to bring fifteen. He only ended up only twelve responded, and he said, "I wanted to save you from what my people were going to do to your planet." So he, he says, I, I created this little world. I created this nice house on the lake, this little corner of the world that was preserved for you to live out the rest of your lives in peace. You won't want for anything. There's food and alcohol and kayaks and boats and entertainment and, and this incredible house with a beautiful view and whatever. You, you just can never leave. Um, and one of the, the people that he invites freaks out, grabs like a, 
fire stick poker and swings it at his head and it just goes right through him. Um, and he sort of reforms his head and then uh, just sort of disappears and says, you know, ah, I'll be back. I'll, I'll check in on for you from time to time. I love you all. And he just sort of disappears. And that's the way the first issue ends. Uh, the, the setup, the first half of the issue is, is meeting these people. Um, they all have sort of a different designation. One is called the artist. Another is called the writer. Uh, another is the comedian. We have the scientist, the accountant, the reporter, uh, the actual acupuncturist, the consultant, the doctor, the pianist, uh, and then Walter, obviously. So it's a very interesting setup. Um, I expect no less from James Tynan. He calls this horror, but I don't know. It feels it feels like horror in the way Twilight Zone is horror, right? Like, obviously, it's horrific that the world's coming to an end, and we may get more horror, but it, this feels much more like suspense or um, kind of science fiction, uh, you know, the, and the best kind of science fiction that makes you ask questions and, um, you know, what's real, what's not. Uh, and uh, clearly it'll be a, a lot about these characters and, and their interactions and and why they were chosen and, and whatnot. And will they try to escape and what's happening to the world? And it, it's just, it's a fantastic start to the story. Um, I will say that Alvaro Martinez Bueno's art, it's not as clean here as you might expect if you've seen his art before uh, in things like Justice League Dark. Uh, but it very much suits the the style of the story. Like it doesn't, it shouldn't be that clean, and the colors shouldn't be that bright. Because just like I was talking about before, where you expect really bright colors in a superhero story, this is not a superhero story. This is very much something different. And so, uh, a little looser style with his art, and having things a little more textured, and uh, a little bit more subdued color palette suits the tone of the story very, very well. Uh, I, I am very curious to get more characterization for the, these different characters and their designations because we get very little of that. Uh, we get their designation and a little blurb about each of them uh, from like Walter's, it almost seems like from Walter's notes or something like that. Um, so who, who Walter is, What uh, it's got to be some alien type race or different dimension or, or that sort of thing. And uh, God, I can't imagine, I mean, Will they be able to put the world back? Can they turn back time? Is it, is it just, I mean, what do you do if you're in the, this is one of those books where you read and you, you put yourself in that situation. If you're one of those 12 people and obviously, I mean, some, a lot of them have met before, right? But they're not any of them that are, I mean, well, the, the, the first girl that we meet, the artist, she, I guess she was dating one of the other people at one point, but clear that it was never really serious. Um, but you're one of these people and you know, the world's coming to, and you have loved ones out there and people that you are close to that you care about. Um, you can't reach them. You can't get a hold of them. Walter tells them they're unable to leave. Um, so yeah, what, what exactly going is going on? Is it, is this an alien race that's coming to terraform the planet to make it suitable for their needs? Is it, um, something similar to that, but with, uh, beings from another dimension, clearly they're very powerful. So a lot, a lot of questions raised, but super intriguing. Uh, and, and the art is gorgeous, especially the color work by Jordi Belair. Uh, very much suits the the narrative that's being told here and, and kind of the mood. So uh, I was reading along. I'd heard really great things because there's been a lot of 
comic creators uh, on social media that were able to read an advanced copy. Um, and that every one of them I've seen talk about, it, it's been like, Oh my God, this is so good. This is so good. So I've been anxiously awaiting reading it. And um, yeah, the first half of the issue is kind of set up and I, I just kept wondering, okay, when, when is something going to happen? Cause you know, something's going to happen, you know, it's Tynan. Um, but what does happen with the world, the world just all of a sudden falling apart was the last thing I expected. I, you know, I expected, okay, one of these people in the house is a serial killer or some kind of psychopath or some sort of Jason or Freddy type character shows up in this house and starts stalking them. I, I did not expect this. I did not expect the whole world to go to hell in a handbasket basically. And uh, yeah, f- fantastic start. I mean, I can't imagine anybody reading this first issue and not coming back for the second one to try to understand what the hell's going on. So uh, wonderful. Yeah. It, it very much reminds me of um, like the best Vertigo books back in the day, right? And people say, oh, the, you know, there is no Vertigo imprint at, at DC and it's the end of an era and it's too bad. Well, this shows that Black Label can still be that and you still can have creator-owned books over at DC that are innovative and fun and um, and have interesting ideas and, and tell great stories. And, you know, you kind of wonder, you look at that that main cover, where the, the, it's that artist character. You just see her from the eyes up, the rest of her submerged in water and she's surrounded by skeletons in the water. Um, and there's no context for it. You have no idea why. And then after you read the story, all of a sudden the context of that cover takes on a whole new meaning. So yeah, I, I was blown away. And uh, yeah, again, between this and Green Lantern and Suicide Squad, uh, they were, they're all home runs for me this week from uh, from DC. So uh, what do you think, Rocky? I, th- I think I remember you telling me that you, you really enjoyed it. Yeah, I I love this. This is uh, this was really good. Uh, it just it's such a simplistic premise. That's what I that's what I love it. The, the best stories are so simple. And and again, I mean, Tinian keeps doing what he say what he said he would do in his newsletter. I mean, I hate I, I keep going back to it, but he 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 keep he's keeping these things simple. The, the, this is not a complicated story at all. This is a group of people that are brought together by a guy named Walter who asks uh, at least one of them, uh, this, uh, the one, the one, the, the artist, uh, you know, at one point, you know, he chooses these people at different points. Some people, some of these characters he chose 12 years ago, some 16 years ago, some four years ago. He, he even breaks them up into clusters. There's the New York cluster that consists of Ryan, Nea, Arturo, and Rick. There's the high school cluster of Nora, Molly, uh, Sam, and Veronica. There's the college cluster of David uh, uh, David and Sarah. And interestingly enough, Walter collects all these people, puts them in this nice house on the lake. They're his friends, and he basically wants to save them. He says, I want to save you because the people where I come from are destroying your planet, but I'm doing this for you. Uh, now's a nice house on the lake. But guess what? By the way, you can never leave. You're going to be here for the rest of your lives. You can never leave. But if it's any consolation, I'm going to come back and visit you once in a while and we can toast the old world. (laughs) That's basically it. And it's, and there's, and yet strangely enough, there is something horrifying about that. (laughs) I mean, it's sort of like, it's sort of like if I was to, if I was to uh, criticize religion, criticize heaven. Can you imagine heaven, a place that after you die, it's a party that you go to in heaven, but you can never leave, <laughs> ever. 
<laughs> you got to party forever. You can never leave. I mean, I mean, it might sound like heaven at first, but think about it. Okay, nice house on the lake that you can never leave. It's sort of like when I go to an all-inclusive in Mexico, it's like, believe it or not, at the end of a two-week vacation in Mexico, I actually want to come home. <laughs> you know, you can get too much of a good thing. But now, and and this has taken that and really building on it. By the way, one of the central mysteries here, uh, Jace, I counted the number. I counted the characters. There are only 10. Walter said there was 12. There's only 10. There's the comedian, scientist, writer, consultant, accountant, artist, reporter, acupuncturist, doctor, and pianist. That's 10 characters. One, yeah, that's 10. There's two characters unaccounted for. He says that 12, he, he said 50, he invited 15, but only 12. There's only 10 that are mentioned in this first issue. And, and I've, I, I've, I've, I think I've reread this three times and I keep trying to find the two characters that I'm missing. Uh, Walter would be the 11th. But I don't think he's counting himself as the host. So, I well, don't know. if you look, if you look on the cover, you know it shows all the sim because they all have a designation, right? This, this, the accountant, the artist, or whatever, and they all have a symbol that goes along with that designation. If you look at the cover, there's only ten symbols on the cover. So you're right; there are two yeah. missing. I didn't, I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Until you said, until you said that. But yeah, if you look on the cover, right, right underneath the title, "Nice House on the Lake." Yeah. It has the ten symbols. Um, but yeah, there's, there's two that are, that are unaccounted for. And I, I, I do agree. I mean, maybe the most horrific thing of all, you know, like, like it is a, a never ending party, like you said, but there's no new, there's no, the world is gone. There's no new television shows. There's no new movies. There's no new comics. Rocky, you want to talk about living in hell? Yeah. Plus you're stuck with these same, whatever it is. Yeah. Is it nine other people? Is it 11 other people? Yeah. You know, there's no, I mean, do you, do you pair up? Do you, I mean, what about, I, I mean, do you care about repopulating the world? Is there even a world to repopulate? Maybe maybe, maybe the, some of the girls are pregnant. Maybe there is 12, but when they're pregnant, that would account for the other two, the unborn or something. Yeah, I don't know. That's, yeah, it's possible. But yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, these people don't even really know each other. I can't imagine being stuck with the same 11 people for the rest of my life. But um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. And it's interesting how he designates them. Like, why would why would he categorize it as a New York cluster, a high school cluster and a college cluster? And they and they're all kind of the same age. Like they're all they're all between the ages of uh, well, they're all in their 30s. They're all they range in ages from 32 to 36. So they yeah. seem to be very specifically chosen in a specific age range. Uh, very New York centric. So this is this guy named Walter. If he is, he's obviously an alien. He it's not like he he got a huge variety of of people of the from the people of yeah. Earth. He you know yeah, what I they're mean? all and they're all American. Yeah, I mean, there's no diversity here. What's going on? <laughs> no Canadians, no West Coasters. Yeah, no Canadians. Walter. Come on, how can you not have a Canadian on there? <laughs> yeah, fantastic start. Very very intriguing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. Uh, Anything else to add, or should we uh, talk uh, about some of the other books? Uh, no, uh, nothing to add. Uh, yeah, just pick up Nice House on the Lake. It's uh, it's it's a great read. It's a great read, and I'm very intrigued in terms of where it might be going. Yeah, there are a couple of other titles coming out um, that we probably should uh, should mention. There's a uh, let me. Yeah, there is the the next the next issue of the uh, the Batman Adventures, which is basically the the animated series title that that ties in 
um, or doesn't tie in, but but kind of lives in that same world. Um, so that is out this week. There, uh, there's also the the final issue of the Man Bat series, um, issue five, which uh, which wraps up wraps up that story. Uh, there's another DC horror title out this week. DC horror presents the conjuring, the lover number one. Uh, and, and that one's sort of interesting because it, it has two stories in it. There's kind of a one and done story by Scott Snyder that, uh, that I thought was, was, was pretty fun, if not a little predictable. And then there's a, there's another story in there that apparently is going to be a continuing story, which I did not find as, as interesting. So, um, but if you're into DC horror, you might want to check that out. It's the conjuring, the lover, number one. Uh, there's also sensational wonder woman, number four. That's the, uh, series that connect, uh, collects the sensational wonder woman digital series, um, in print. So those are some of the other, uh, books that you might want to be on the lookout for, uh, from DC this week. And then we've got, uh, as far as trade paperbacks, there's the, the Harley Quinn black, white, and red trade paperback that collects that whole series. Uh, Batman the Animated, I already mentioned the individual issue of Batman the Animated, or Batman the Adventures Continue, season one trade paperback is out. Um, there's also a, a Poison Ivy, Thorns trade paperback, a Catwoman Soul Stealer trade paperback, and a Crypto the Super Dog trade paperback um, that are coming out this week as well. So plenty of DC books, uh, a lot of good good stuff this, uh, this week, and uh, yeah, especially Nice House on the Lake. We saved it for last because, you know, really probably the most interesting and intriguing uh, book. And Sands on its own, obviously. You don't need to read anything else. Uh, I thought Green Lantern was excellent. I thought Suicide Squad was ec- excellent. So pretty pretty happy with where DC is at right now. And based on where we were a few a few months ago with Future State, I got to say, I'm, I'm this is not where I expected to be. <laughs> I was really worried. I mean, my in, in a way, it was... You know, I was trying to look at the positives of it. I was spending hardly any money when I was ordering my comics on on DC stuff. My comic bill was like down by fifty percent, <laughs> but now they're sucking me back into some of these uh, some of these titles. So, no, yeah. yeah, no, it's really, it's a great week. I I'm, I love my favorite was Nice House on the Lake, and I I really enjoyed Batman and Green Lantern this week. It was uh, definitely my, my favorites and. Uh, and the and Justice League Dark, I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed Suicide Squad. Uh, e- even moments with Lobo and Crush and Lobo, as much as I had some issues with maybe how, where they're going with Crush. Still, my, I, I consider my criticisms to be fairly minor. And I, I, compliments to DC for you know I I credit DC Comics for bringing helping bringing in the horror comic back. Horror comics are coming back in spades. It's the black label, the Joe Hill line of comics. I think DC put that helped put that horror comics back on the map. Obviously James Tinian did it with something is killing the children. He he's at the forefront of that. And and of course his nice house on the lake here is just continuing that. I mean DC, you know, it's kind of ironic as much as we're we're on the we're we all got so Chris critical of AT&T, the corporate mentality of everything else, uh, even though you, it's sort of ironic. If I, I would never have guessed that, that I would be enjoying DC as much as I, as much as I'm, I'm, I have. And it, it, whatever AT&T has done and you can be critical of them, it, you know, it, maybe they did, they may have fired a lot of people, but I gotta say, man, they, the creatives that they have kept around and, and this new fresh blood of, uh, of, of young writers from Brandon Thomas to Stephanie Phillips to uh, 
uh, to uh, Adams and uh, and uh, Jeffrey Thorne. Um, all impressive. Like they've they've their their passion is coming through, and they're they're putting up with the criticism, and they're they're just they're putting their head to the they're just they're focused, and these stories. There's some, there's some good, there's a, th- there's a through line here between all these stories that I think it's, I'm being entertained. I'm being entertained and kudos to Ram V man between Ram V and Tantinian. Wow. Boom. Think, things, things are flying high. Who would have thought that the worst writer in the entire batch is Bendis? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and interesting too because you know remember DC was done right. Oh, DC's done. Marvel's going to end up buying them up. They're going to stop making print comics. They're hardly putting out anything, right? Three or four titles, blah blah blah. Here we are, you know, at the second week in a row where we've been <laughs> you know talking for more than two hours because they've got so many so many books on on the stands that are coming out and good books. So yeah, definitely uh, in a good place with DC uh, on the on the upswing. Uh, so as we're winding up here, Rocky, anything to tease for the folks coming up this week on the channel? Um, nothing, nothing in particular. I, I, mm-hmm. I have a, I'm going to be doing another top 50 uh, and I'm putting together another top 50 books and uh, maybe just a rant and rave on the state of comics in general. And I might be reviewing some future DC titles that are coming out, but I've just, I've got a number of things uh, I, that, that I'm working on, but nothing, nothing specific right at this moment. No. <laughs> gotcha. Well, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, the Jim Starlin interviews up. Highly recommend you guys go and check that out. That's a great interview. Up, yeah. Yeah. Go and pick up Dread. Go and pick up Dreadstar Returns. Very, very uh, entertaining story. Uh, also, this week for our Kickstarter spotlight, we'll be talking to Erica Schultz about her current campaign for the Deadliest Bouquet, which uh, just uh, just funded over the weekend. So we'll be talking to her about that. Liam Sharp's Kickstarter is still ongoing and has reached a hundred thousand dollars which is absolutely amazing i'm so happy for my uh my friend liam uh so well deserves he's so humble he's so hardworking, and uh really this is you know he's talked he's been open talking about it on social media how this is going to be life-changing for him um and so that's that's spectacular to see uh, a lot a lot of interviews coming up got some big announcements some some new things coming in the the crowdfunding world i also have a, a big event you may have seen over the weekend i Tweeted out a picture of some art that I got uh, my hands on from Todd Knock that you 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 can own. Uh, so there's a big big event coming up that I'll be talking more and more about as it gets closer. Uh, that I'm going to be making a ton of art and autographed books and signed copies of comics and all kinds of really cool stuff. Some graded comics, all that's going to be made available uh, for you all. So you'll want to uh, pay attention to that. Make sure you're following us on social media. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of a lot of great things coming. Uh, we're gonna have Daniel Sampiron to talk about his work on Aquaman and uh, and Action Comics. So that's coming up as well. So yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of things in the hopper, keeping me really busy. So be sure you're uh, following us on social media so you know when all that stuff drops. Be sure you're uh, subscribing to the Comic Boom uh, YouTube channel. Uh, make sure you hit that notification bell, like this video. All that stuff helps uh, Rocky and I get uh, more visibility and more access and ability to talk to more creators and bring you guys some some great content so be sure you're doing that and uh as always want to thank you all for for listening especially when these episodes get a little longer in the tooth with uh with so many books out but you know rocky's always on top of it with those timestamps, so you can jump right to the books that you want to know about 
and so we appreciate you listening and supporting us as always. And we will talk to you next time. Catch you later. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Do a search for the comic source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.